0: This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.
1: Across the water in the UK, the Times UK is reporting that Friday could break 35.6 degrees. And already they're starting to complain and will be complaining on Friday in the UK, or at least parts of it, that it's just too hot. They'll be grumbling. Uh, We won't get anywhere near that, certainly not in the next week or so. But in Spain, they've got a heat bomb. Hitting the Spanish parts of Spain are upwards of 45 and 50. Uh, degrees Celsius, way too often now. They're kind of looking at, uh, you know, climate change been down to that. You know, they're looking at maybe temperatures in Spain and holiday destinations like the Costas of Spain uh, 20 years ago and comparing them to now. So, makes for interesting reading. Uh, The President, Michael D. Higgins, I'd love to know your thoughts on this because um, I've always admired Michael D. as a man who speaks his mind. Very impassionate individual and delighted he's President of our country as well incidentally, but he's got into a bit of hot water for some remarks he made. About the housing and rental situation in Ireland, which he describes as a disaster. And he says that housing is our greatest failure. The examiner this morning quoted him as saying, I've taken the time and I speak even more frankly in relation to housing because I think it is our great, great, great failure. It isn't a crisis anymore, it's a disaster. So I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Now, you know, and the the issue really is as to whether or not the president is entitled, because of protocol and the job that he has, to say anything at all. Like Sean O'Connell, who's a law lecturer at UCC, said that there's a very strong case that Michael D. Higgins, the president, has overstepped the mark with his comments about the housing crisis. He says he's got limited roles. He can accept the resignation of a Taoiseach. He can ask the Supreme Court if a bill is constitutional. But um he says that he shouldn't be getting involved in Things for the executive and the government. Well, I know what he's saying, and he's the law lecturer. But you would think if the government don't do it or don't realise how bad it is, and the president does, that he should be entitled to rattle the government's cage on this one. I, I know constitutionally they say that it's kind of murky waters, but I personally am okay with it. I don't know what you guys think. Text O eight six eight one zero four one zero six. And this grenade out in Douglas, it must have been in the Tramore River must have been in the little river that runs accru- through Douglas itself this suspicious device Guardy were called yesterday around about four in the afternoon and um, reported it to the Army and the army did their job very professionally they identified it investigation was carried out and I guess they uh, they disarmed it or something they sent us a statement saying in relation to the incident yesterday army bomb disposal team. Asked to investigate. Suspicious device. They cordoned off the area uh, and it helped with the guards, of course, and guards were there. Uh, a device was identified. Investigation carried out. Let me have a look at that. Um, due to the area in question, uh, it's kind of tidal conditions. Uh, they paused it for a period yesterday, but last night they completely finished the work, uh, made it safe. And disposed of the item. At no point did they say what it was. But I believe it was a grenade. There was a case in the courts in Dublin for quite some time. Of a delivery cyclist. Um, who has now been cleared of murdering a Dublin schoolboy. Called Josh Dunn. He's asked for forgiveness of the family of the lad. He was found not guilty. By way of self-defence yesterday. Now he had spent quite some time. Apparently um, already. Um, uh, a man acquitted on all charges. Um, He spent some time in jail anyway, uh, quite some time. He denied the murder of the lad. He said, I'm sorry. I've been saying sorry ever since the beginning and I've been asking for forgiveness and hopefully one day his mother will forgive me. But the jury took little less than eight hours to find him not guilty on all counts after the trial. He was found to have acted in self-defense and he had said that uh, he was being attacked by a gang after he and other Deliveroo cyclists uh, tried to prevent another man's bike from being stolen. uh, And he explained that he took out a knife, which he said he kept on his person for cutting fruit, and he stabbed three people, including this lad, Josh, uh, who died. And he believed... um, uh, that it was in self-defense. The jury agreed. It's a very interesting case because uh, the lad's mother has said that she will continue to fight for her son. Uh, in, in other paper stories this morning, of course, um, we've got loads for you with regards to prices, and they're not coming down. The mail this morning says that uh, if you already got a cheap flight overseas this summer, you probably won't be getting any more of them across the summer or the autumn, because they also are going upwards. It's the end of cheap flights, according to the mail today. And meanwhile, Leo Veradker is Pushing for the living wage wage to be increased, they want to replace the uh, living wage actually and phase in a new system by 2026. Um, so the new living wage, whatever it would be termed, would have a minimum wage of 217, uh, and that would result in a worker bringing home around 25,000 euro. You got to ask yourself the question: even at that, is that enough? The answer clearly is not. There's a lot of talk, of course, with regards to um, uh, Joe Duffy's Liveline show, in the papers today, the controversial anti-trans episodes of Liveline that apparently ran on uh, for a few days, and it's led now to Dublin Pride ending their RTE partnership. They say that it's due to the uh, the very harmful anti-trans lifeline debate where the people of Ireland got an opportunity or at least some sections of them got an opportunity to um, uh, voice their opinions and their thoughts on the world that we live in now where we try and be kind and inclusive to everybody. They claim though the trans community and the LGBTQ that it's hate speech. So that's quite interesting and may well come back to that uh, a little later on this morning. Um, and then there's a, an interesting one that made... Uh, unfair dismissals. This was a case taken about, uh, taken against Lidl by a deputy store manager. Lidl sacked this store manager because he was giving himself a discount on stale bakery goods that were due to be written off anyway. So he was discounting the price and buying them himself. They would have been thrown out anyway. I, I don't know whether, uh, you know, uh, Lidl ever thought that they'd lose this, but they did. I, mean, I don't know whether it had more to do with how the case was handled or the fact that he was sacked. But they got, he got 17 grand for unfair dismissals in the courts yesterday. And every single year, we have the same damn story about the flake in 19- 99s. It's the same every single summer. I remember it last summer and the summer before. And the, it's like sometimes they just resurrect these stories. They're saying, if you love your 99s, you want to be very worried because there's a shortage of flake, as in the Cadbury's flake. And they said that last year, and there wasn't. And the year before, and there wasn't. And I would suggest that even again this year, there won't be any shortage of flakes. Knowing my luck, it will be the one year when there'll be no chocolate flakes for the top of the 99. But in the past, it never, ever happened. Um, So that's the story on that one. Uh, But the last word for now is a story that I found online, or at least Seamus did. How many of you can relate to this, right? This is a mum and dad, particularly the mum, apparently, because she does a lot of the talking. She's revealed how her spoiled kids get whatever they want... Because she thinks people will think she's a better parent if the kids are dressed in designer gear. So, this is Alan and Kelly McKenna in the UK, and they're parents to Reese, Mackenzie, and Chase. And they would think nothing at all about spending hundreds of euro regularly on their kids. Like, Chase uh, wants for nothing. Parents buy her everything because Chase doesn't like Primark or pennies and will only dress exclusively in designer gear. So they appear in these episodes of some television show and the clips have gone viral. Recently, they bought a 400 euro quad, 400 euro pounds, I should say, 400 pounds on motorbikes and 180 pound coats. But the parents themselves go without in order to cater to their kids' demands. Like people walk into their house and say, but you've got no carpets. And your kids are running around in Lacoste. And Mammy says, yeah, we are crap with money. We don't have savings. We live every day. We could have loads of bills, you know, and I still go to bed and sleep. Things just don't worry me. Mammy says that she began dressing her children in designer gear as soon as they were born in the hope that people would think that she was a good mum. I wonder... I wonder, does any of that go on in Ireland, or indeed Cork, where the kids are just dressed head to toe in designer gear, just to impress the neighbours or your friends or the other mummies and daddies at the school gates. Text 86 a one zero four one zero six.
0: The Neil Brenderville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red
1: FM. A lot of text emails and calls from yesterday's programme and indeed the day before. I hope to have an update on Michelle's situation and living in the car. Um, A happy update, a positive update. We're working on stuff behind the scenes and hopefully if it all comes together everything will be hunky-dory and she'll be no longer inside in a car. Uh text 868 Pick up the phone on 818 106 And one thing that I didn't get to yesterday, although I did mention it earlier in the week, was that cocaine is now the number one drug um, and the number one drug that's leading to addiction issues and people having to go into treatment. It's higher than anything else now. It's past heroin. Um, I, I'm not so sure what the, the, it, it is in, in relation to alcohol. I'd say alcohol is by far and away um, the number one. But when it comes to drugs per se, uh, cocaine is right up there. And I found an interesting article from uh, a leading HR export, expert called Damien McCarthy. He's a firm called HR Buddy. He says um, that it's impacting in the workplace more and more absenteeism, behavioral issues, competence in the workplace, being able to do your job. These were things that we associated with alcohol abuse in the past. These same things now are being associated in the workplace with cocaine use. And Damien joins me by phone. Damien, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Would you agree um, that those things, you talk of absenteeism, behavioral issues, competency, ability to do your job, turn up on time, these were things that we associated with alcohol in the past, right? Now it's cocaine.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's right, Neil. I think in the past um, there may have been cultures inside in workplaces whereby on a Monday morning you were told to keep your head down and maybe stay out of the way because you'd had one or two points too many on, on, on Sunday evening. But um, over the past few years, and very much in particular since um, employees have gone back into the workplace um, after the reopening of COVID-19, I'm getting more and more uh, instances coming across my desk of behavioural issues uh, from employees inside in the workplace. Uh, Workplace relations problems, behavioural problems, performance and engagement problems um, from employees and business owners and their people managers coming to me. And I suppose um, in the background mentioning uh, Mm -hmm. cocaine problems, cocaine is coming up um, an awful lot. And it now seems that um, I think uh, workplaces aren't ready uh, with regards to the issues we have with cocaine use in this country. And what are the employers
1: telling you cocaine is doing to their employees' ability to work or turn up?
2: Well, very uh, very much so. Unfortunately, Neil, um, this is impacting, I suppose, uh, every different type of individual in every type of workplace. Very often uh, you would hear uh, an employer say, look, I have a good young fella here. He's talented. He's good at his job. But... Um, a colleague has come to me and they can't put up with him anymore. Um, he's absent on Mondays, he's coming in on Tuesdays, he's not engaged, um, he may snap at them at any time, um, he's inconsistent in his behaviours, uh, inconsistent in his performances, and we need wow. to do something about it. Wow. Um, but say things like, look, between myself and yourself, I know there's issues here, um, I know he's taking cocaine. Um, And then you're dealing with something like, you know, a grievance, a disciplinary issue. uh, So then the employer, what does Uh, the
1: employer do then in a case like that where another employee says what you've just said to me and says it's down to cocaine use?
2: Well, you see, the, the point here for employers, Neil, is that uh, the employer has a duty of all its employees under the Health and Safety uh, at Work Act 2005. So the employer is obviously very, uh, has to be very conscious of uh, the work colleagues. And indeed, I think it's remaining very much a kind of taboo subject, whereby it gets, you know, performance and absenteeism issues are being dealt with from a grievance and disciplinary point of view. But how would it, an um, employer
1: start it? Is, is it a disciplinary issue? Or with the employer... The boss he or she sit down with that employee and confront him or her,
2: or what yes well, um, I think what cases Neil Aren't set up for the current issues that have and that we are going to have on into the future. If you listen to what, I suppose, the experts in addiction services say, they're saying things uh, like, you know, the horse is bolted. You know, this is an issue now and we need to be able to deal with it proactively. So to deal with it proactively, first of all, the workplace has to have policies in place and set a culture and standards uh, amongst its workforce and educate its workforce with regards to uh, drugs and substance abuse. I think, Another key point that has been made by uh, addiction experts is dissuasion. And I don't think we have enough dissuasion inside in workplaces. Um, And even if if you're to look at it from an employment law point of view, um, employers can't carry out things like mandatory drug testing. And I really do think that the government could actually help employers. Who does?
1: Who does that? Who does mandatory drug testing? Like, do they do it in other countries? I know they possibly Um, could do it in... Uh, maybe, do guardy do it? Maybe, Army?
2: Do they do it in health centers? Sort of, well, even, even sorted employers in this country would do it, but they can only do it if the employee agrees to it. So it has to be agreed to inside the contract of employment. So it's a bit like um, the antigen testing that took place during COVID-19. Um, a workplace could have antigen testing, but if if... the employee didn't want to partake in us or agree to us, there's nothing that the employer could do. But I suppose my point is that if there was an employment law change there whereby workplaces could uh, mandatory drug test their employees, there would be a a deterrent there for people, um, I suppose, not to abuse. Is it that bad? uh, Yeah, it's actually that bad. I, I think I well look. I can only go by what's coming across my desk, Neil. And I think um, very much what it seems to be is that it's now a lifestyle choice yeah. readily available. Yeah. But it's having its impact in everyday life. And well, what does it and impact
1: on somebody who's driving machinery or driving cars for a living, or works for a company driving a truck, or is a medic or working in a hospital setting? Is that impacting well, look, on their on their their decision making?
2: Well, absolutely it is, but again, it's all it's almost uh, silent. So, um, but it's obviously something that the employer needs to consider from a health and safety point of view. Then, where by um, if an employee is driving a vehicle or operating machinery, and there has been instances of uh, uh, people being, you know, taken off site uh, for the day because of uh, certain behavioural issues, where they were operating machinery that we've had to deal with. Yeah, we've well, heard uh, that
1: in the past. So that was usually an t- intoxication from alcohol,
0: right?
2: Yes, in in the past, but uh, we're now dealing with something different. And if you look at the the research that came out uh, last week from the Health uh, Research Board, it showed, as you mentioned, a rise in uh, cocaine use. And also, I suppose. Yeah, has trebled, and we're, we're, we're second in Europe, just behind the UK, with regards to, to cocaine use. Um, and we're also seeing um, an, all, an awful lot of experimentation amongst young people, like, and people yeah. are, are taking these substances at a younger age, which means that workplaces need to be set up in the future uh, to be able to deal with these issues and educate um, their workforce. That you
1: said that an employee that you dealt with recently... Um, uh, uh, sorry, an employer, was approached by an, um, an employee uh, for a loan because yeah. he was short of money to feed his cocaine habit. He asked his boss or her boss, is it?
2: That's a, that's right, yeah, yeah. So in one instance, and i, I dealt with other instances of employees approaching their employer uh, for loans, which um, wasn't uh, directly, I suppose, uh, related uh, to drugs or substance abuse, but more certainly there would have been um, perhaps an indication um, that it, that may have been the reason. Now, we're also in a cost-of-living crisis, so some people are obviously... No, but in the, but, in the case
1: that uh, you outlined, he openly or she openly admitted it was to
2: feed a cocaine habit, his cocaine habit yeah absolutely yeah so um an employee came to uh his employer and asked the employer for a loan and and openly admitted it no there was su- supports uh provide for that uh, employee and uh, hopefully that's going to have uh, a good ending but um, that's the extent of the problem that you're dealing with but there has also been other instances of employees asking their employers for loans and I suppose in an awful lot of businesses employers are working with their employees on a daily basis most of the uh, I suppose employments in this country are inside of businesses the types of businesses that we will be dealing with where you know there may only be teams of 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 people so the employer and the employee have an everyday relationship um so the employer is very aware of uh, you know their people's behaviors and have uh, in many instances good relationships with them so um you know I suppose yeah. they have their finger on their pulse as regards to what's happening in w- with regards to their lifestyles and so on
1: yeah but uh, yeah well i suppose they could be snooping on their facebook couldn't they They'd be looking at their social media give them a good indication of how they're behaving socially is that acceptable
2: Um, Well, no, it's unacceptable, but uh, I would also say, Neil, that's not how it's coming up. Usually how this issue is rearing its head is it's a work colleague who can't put up with the inconsistent kind of erratic behaviours uh, of the person who's substance abusing. That's normally how it's coming up and that puts the, the employer in a position then where they have to obviously look after the health and safety uh, of, of the work colleague. Um, it may become a grievance and disciplinary issue. But my, I suppose the point I would make is we, look, the horse is bolted. There is a problem in our society with regards to cocaine use um, being now a a lifestyle choice and it's so readily available that we have to admit that it is going to impact on everyday life. It is going to impact on workplaces. And we need joined up thinking from the government and from workplaces uh, to help everyone, employers, and the individuals themselves. We have to go back to the root cause and go back to the individual themselves because this is happening across every demographic. And the the,
1: the research, yeah, well, you talk about every demographic. The research showed that was out recently. The travelling cocaine use. When you look at the average age of someone who comes into trouble with it and develops problems because of cocaine, it's thirty-two years old, apparently.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think it has stayed silent for uh, too long. Um, it's kind of a taboo subject, um, and whereby uh, there are issues that come across my desk. It's been mentioned in the background. You know, cocaine has been mentioned in the background but not being dealt with up front. And it's very, very important for employers, Neil, to have a policy in place and to communicate and educate all their employees with regards to uh, drugs and alcohol abuse in the workplace, I suppose and set out those standards. But I will go back to that point that the experts make about this dissuasion and a deterrent. And I don't think there's enough of a deterrent uh, in society and in workplaces to stop, you know, because in most circumstances you will always hear you know, perfectly, perfectly good uh, worker, perfectly good young fella, but I know what's going on here. He's he's taking cocaine, yeah. or he's she, for that matter, right? Uh, he or she, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and and and, and these But you're those, like if it's not uh, turning
1: up, and you get all of the warnings, and uh, you go through the disciplinary, they need to be managed out of the business, don't they? They need to be let go, no.
2: Well, look, that's. Um, How it's dealt with, perhaps, um, on an individual basis from the HR point of view. Okay, that's fine. But the unfortunate thing here, uh, Neil, is what I'm saying is this is happening across all ages, across all demographics it's perfectly good people from good families going in, destroying their careers destroying their working relationships and that's hugely unfortunate and what I would like to see is more joined up thinking with regards to how workplaces can deal with this and in particular with regards to drug testing in workplaces because if we can put in that deterrent we may be able to shift uh, to research in future years. But one of the
1: deterrents just finally that you're suggesting as a way to go forward is that employers Employees who notice someone in the workplace clearly intoxicated be that alcohol, be that cocaine, I suppose, be that cannabis that they should report the behavior to a superior. It's almost like a whistleblower shopping on your colleagues, blowing
2: well, the whistle. I suppose, yeah, yeah it, it, it is whistleblowing. Um, I suppose, again, if you look at the legislation, uh, the, the, the Health and Safe, the Safety and Welfare Act, um, employees have a responsibility. And a duty of care under employment law as well. So it is the uh, the fellow work colleagues, they have a duty of care under employment law. But they get dragged well. into an the investigation
1: report. then, wouldn't they?
2: Well, well they, they may be part of it. And it, it, it's very, very tricky to deal uh, with this, Neil, but it is what workplaces are dealing with. Um, which is why there needs to be more joined up thinking, there needs to be more training and education inside the workplaces of the workforce and also just to mention there needs to be supports because um, I suppose if you are dealing with an employee uh, who may have an issue with regards to drug uh, abuse, to have an employee assistance programme programs in place okay. and supports in place can bring about good results, and yeah. I've dealt with that in the past where yeah. there have been issues with regards to addiction in the workplace, and uh, we have got great results with regards to providing supports for employees.
1: Okay, just to leave you on this text, because uh, it has more to do I suppose with people working in construction and possibly more to do with cannabis than it has uh, cocaine. I walk my dog every morning around about half past five, and I always pass a bunch of lads waiting for a lift. They're all builders. I'm clearly ne- I'm nearly stoned passing them because they're clearly smoking the joints, um, and I'm almost smoking it passing them. Says Pat, and then they they're smoking cannabis joints, and then going working on a building site. Have you heard of that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not shocked, Neil. Uh, to be honest with you, and and um, the resource the research that was released last week uh, may have been shocking, but um, I wasn't shocked by it. I, I think an awful lot of people were not shocked by it. Um, this is violent. Out in the background and what we need to do is uh, come out and be proactive and positive about this in society and uh, with regard to what I do every day uh, inside the workplaces and have proactive approaches to so people. So companies and bosses um, come to
1: you and say we've got a cocaine problem in the workplace how can we fix it? That's what they're saying to you.
2: Yes and it's a very tricky situation okay. uh, to deal okay. with because it's the root cause of the problem okay. Um, okay. but very often isn't being dealt with up front.
1: Okay, good to chat about it, Damien. Thanks so much for taking the call. Have a good day today. It's Damien McCarthy, founder of HR Buddy, and you can find him online. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Back after the break.
0: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 Red
1: FM. Yesterday we had some great research for you on car rental prices. We also had a comparison between our cost of petrol and our cost of diesel in Ireland and to Canaries. And I can tell you it was a heck of a lot cheaper in the Canaries. Got some more interesting research done by Michael Bergen who actually did a comparison with Ireland and Malta. And this will shock you just as much. Michael, good morning.
3: Good morning, Neil. How
1: are you doing? I'm good, my man. So we know that the price of diesel is getting totally out of hand and petrol even worse. So in and around now, say this is Douglas, right? 220 for unleaded and 206 for diesel. Um, I know, it's a joke. so we'll accept that as 220 and 206, right? Yeah. What did you find, say, for instance, in Malta? And that's another island, incidentally. 100%.
3: Unleaded, uh, 1.34. Uh, uh, diesel, 121. And uh, they have another rate then for the liquid petroleum gas at 0.67 cents. God, that's cheap, isn't it, for people? Now, that the, the funny thing is, uh, doing a little bit further research, the tax per litre in Malta is 74 cents. The tax on it is 74 cents? Yeah. That's huge. The ta- yeah, but wait till you hear. The tax on uh, in Ireland is 85 cents mm, per litre.
1: Mm-mm. Eighty-five cent per liter, or what? But what? What is it? What is the tax per per euro? But it is about forty-eight cent yeah. in the euro here.
3: Forty, forty, forty between forty-nine and fifty-two. It depends. There seems to be various fluctuations in Ireland for some reason. Okay,
1: so what we know so is that there's about fifty percent tax on Ireland on each euro of fuel. What is the tax in Malta per euro of fuel?
3: Uh. Around about 48-49%.
1: So they, how do they still manage to have it so cheap?
3: This is it. Where, where is, Why is the difference? Where is Malta buying the uh, oil and where is Ireland buying the oil? Now there's been suggestions that uh have done a bulk uh, deal. But across Europe, every oil company has to bulk buy because they have to have, under the Nora regulations, regulations. Uh, enough fuel in case of a shortage to cover them for 90 days yeah. now, you know so motors not buying any more than that there, there's something in uh, the costing and it's if you, we look back to March 50%
1: uh, of the pre, of 50% of the price of the pump of diesel per litre or indeed petrol per litre 50% of it goes to the state exact. in yeah. VAT Nora and excise duty, fifty percent of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and
3: what, you know when you compare say back a few years, go back to when uh, the the cost of oil per barrel was was lower. Oh, sorry, it was higher than what it is currently now, and yet the the fuel price at the pump was lower. How high did it get, and when was that? Uh, that was well. It was. I mean, there's there's so many different comparisons being done on the the price of oil. But uh, three or four years ago, uh, the oil was higher per barrel than it is now. And yet, petrol at the pumps was was much lower than it was.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, last year, this month, last year, unleaded was 150 and diesel was 140, according to the OAA. If you go back three, four, five years ago, it was more likely unleaded was about... One sixteen, one twenty, 120,
3: one twenty-five. That's right. And it's dropping, it, you know, it's rising drastically. Even if we look back to March, uh, there was the $0.15 cent and the $0.20 cent taken off uh, the duty. And yet, the prices are still still rising. And why is it not right, you know, there has to be something wrong with uh, what's, the petrol stations are actually
1: charging. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. You know, June, June, two thousand and eight, for instance, right? Which yeah. I know now is fourteen years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. One seventeen. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the cost of a barrel of fuel was back in two thousand eight. I can find out, uh, but I'm quite sure that it was close enough to sixty, seventy, maybe eighty dollars a barrel. But anyway, yeah. back back to back to Malta. Why is it that an island that has no fossil fuels? We're in Ireland as well, so a lot of similarities. Can charge one thirty four, and we're charging two twenty. Why are we
3: being scalped? Of course we are. There's no doubt about it. And again, uh, if you look at by the government, by the the, the oil uh, importers into Ireland, there has to be pricing sets. I don't, you know, there's no other way of looking at it because you know they're blaming Ukraine at the moment or the price of oil but why then is Malta that it has to import everything they have no fossil fuel they have to import gas they have no even generating their electricity they are importing everything so like exactly what, should, what, should we be,
1: what should be done about it like if we're being ripped off I mean we have the same story yeah. going on with hotel prices we have the same we did comparisons yesterday between Cork and Dublin Airport and the rest of Europe it's three and four times dearer to rent a car
3: oh sorry listen it's fast but I think over the years, it's got to the stage where greed takes over. And, certain, yeah, and certain people are suddenly saying, right, we lost out uh, for the last couple of years on COVID. Now we're going to, you know, tear the arse out of it, if you like, and up the price. And
1: we'll do it at a time when people need things most, summertime. Yeah. And you, you are aware now that Northern Ireland hire companies are delivering rental cars to Dublin Airport.
3: For people. Oh, yeah, I said that uh, to Sherry's yesterday. The, <sighs> my sisters lived in Donegal. And at the end of the day, you can hop into the north and where you're flying into, and they have the car there ready for you, come back and collect it.
1: Do you think that it might be a Green Party initiative, that they're keeping the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in check <laughs> and won't let them intervene because the Greens
3: ultimately don't want us driving cars? Do you think... But, 100% and, I, and I'll give you a point on that though, that you've mentioned it Eamon Ryan uh, after uh, Richard Donahue had made the statement to the school, yeah. all right, um there was there was no, nothing, not a murmur out of the Green Party for days and then all of a sudden um, I put up a, a post uh, related to uh, what Eamon Ryan had said and the hypocritical side of it and I tagged him in it all right, through his Facebook page. I get a, an email from, not an email, a post back from uh, Eamon Ryan with this written, this story is untrue, and then a link to his own page. And on the page, he said that what uh, Richard of TD had said in the door was untrue, that he'd actually borrowed the bicycle from a friend of a Green Party friend. But wait, so I put underneath, the post, I agree 100% the story that you have linked, i.e. his story, is totally untrue. What was he saying
1: because, about Eamon Ryan on the bicycle?
3: That's Eamon, that the estate car had brought the bicycle down while he travelled on the train. And is
1: that true or not?
3: Part see part of it is, because what's come, seems to have come out now, is that <laughs> uh, Eamon Ryan went uh, traveled down by his own electric car to Limerick. Now people were asking the question, you know, was it's very hypocritical of him to be telling people to use uh, public transport uh, to use the train? So then, Eamon Ryan's answer to that, and it was all on social media. I've got copies. Yo, right? I know, but did he or did he not
1: cycle a bicycle with a state car following him? No. All right.
3: Okay. No. Well, he. he uh, this is well. <laughs> there's no. Um, contrary because at the end of the day you see first of all he when Eamon ryan uh, mentioned it to extra he said that he borrowed the bike from a local bicycle shop in limerick (laughs) right in the post that he sent to me he borrowed it from a green party friend and this green party friend come onto the page and blocked it so i said well were you telling lies when you said you borrowed it from uh, the bike shop, or are you telling lies now? When you're saying you borrowed it, from but it train? could have
1: been the bike shop, who's also working, who else is a member of the no, Green Party.
3: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe a word of that. Then the next part of it was, why didn't he travel on by train? Because he said that the the cycle uh, ride with the children was starting at ten past eight in the morning, and there wasn't a train leaving. Well, that's inside. fair enough, isn't it? But hold on, I've got another councillor. Uh, Green Party councillor who, who obviously stepped up on the story and forgot, and uh, had posted an image of him talking on Thursday night in Limerick. Oh, so he, he, went, he was actually he was Limerick in Limerick on the Thursday night. He Not. went in on the Thursday, so it just, <laughs> I just—I suggest he's telling lies. <laughs> and know. you know, there's somewhere there that it is. So <laughs> anyway, the fact that—and now that we got, got onto on that
1: from the price of Malta, one thirty-four for unleaded, and here is two twenty <laughs> odd.
3: And, because it's the Green Party that's allowing this. Because at the end of the day, one of the things you could actually say is, are they keeping the price of fuel up? Have they turned around and said to uh, petrol retailers, listen, because of the Green Initiative, we'll give you a run of it now for the next couple of years. Oh,
1: for God's sake, wouldn't
3: it be a drag? The you know, and, and that way. Because the trouble is, see, it's fine in the cities. All right, people can jump on a bus and they're, they're frequent enough. What about people in rural areas? What about people that have to travel 25, 30, 40, 50 kilometers? They have no choice but to drive their car. Now, again, they want to change people to uh, hybrid and electric. What's the grant here in Ireland on a, a hybrid? car? I, I don't
1: know. I think it was slashed. It's gone. In Malta, €12,000. You get €12,000 off the price of a new electric car. Yeah, off the read, off the four court price, off the four court. And what price. do you get in Ireland? Nothing. God Almighty!
3: And they're expensive, and you know, electric looks- cars. Yeah, they are, and the, I mean, people can opt for a hybrid because here in Ireland we don't have the facility uh, for the chargers. Here in uh, Utherard in County Galway, there's one charger, one. Yeah. And I know of a few people that have got hybrid cars and they're plug in hybrid.
1: Yeah, but there but is a five thousand euro grant towards the purchase of of cars and it? it's a BEV eligibility grant, isn't it? it caps That
3: is, but not not for a hybrid.
1: No, no, it's for an electric a- car. Up to sixty thousand euro worth of electric cars. Right, yeah. You get yeah, five yeah. grand. You also get six hundred to put in a home charger, yeah?
3: That's right, yeah.
1: And you also but get VRT relief of five grand. So you're not being 100% accurate. There are quite an amount of grants on electric cars.
3: No, no, I'm talking about the hybrid. If I know, okay, hybrid, yeah, yeah. well nothing that's the, at yeah, all. Yeah. And I'm saying in other countries, uh, you'll you get the grant. So if you buy a hybrid in Malta, you get 12000 off. And if you're scrapping a car, you get a further €2,000. Well, we should all go to
1: Malta. <laughs> Certainly for the price of unleaded and diesel. Anyway, food for thought. So here, well over 220. The likes of Malta and the Canaries, uh, 134. Uh, for unleaded and 121 for diesel. All right, let's get some calls and thoughts on that. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for the research. Text 0868104106 and pick it up after the break.
0: Talk to Neil Prenderbill now. 0818104106 Cork's Red FM. He was also saying that
1: he was in Galway in a hospital in Galway. Michael Bergen says he was in a hospital in Galway in the A&E last week and people were head to toe and the doctors were apologizing to patients for having to carry out consultations for each of the patients in front of all of the other patients. Absolutely disgraceful. But here we are nonetheless. And of course, this Saturday, there's a big protest at two o'clock starts outside. Imagine the protest is uh, on Patrick Street, uh, just there at uh, Brown Thomas. It's quite interesting because an awful lot of people are coming together from all sorts of walks of life. And amongst them, of course, as usual, uh, would be Mick Barry TD. He joins me by phone. Mick, good morning. Interesting, morning to you, interesting text here says, it's time we acted like the French. There should be a national strike in Ireland. Refuse to go to work every week until they drop the price in the cost of living, control prices and force a drop in petrol and diesel prices. What are your thoughts on that? Because you call all of this profiteering.
4: Yeah, there's a massive profiteering going on. Uh, the government are putting it all down to the Russia-Ukraine war and the aftermath of covid But, of course, there's massive uh, profiteering uh, going on. For example, uh, Tesco won't tell you how much profits they make in Ireland. They lump their Irish profits in with their UK profits
1: and they give a total figure.
4: Have you any idea what the figure was for 2021 pre-tax profits? I haven't a notion. I I challenge you, have a guess, just for the crack.
1: Just, you mean, here in the UK, is it? Pre-tax profits for Tesco, yeah. Uh, 80, 90, 100 million? Uh, no, go a little bit higher there, Neil. Hundred and fifty million. Uh, go way a bit higher there, Neil. Three hundred million. No, two point two billion pound <laughs> sterling. Right? Oh my god!
4: And oh the previous god. year, the previous year, it was one point one billion. So they increased them, they doubled them in the space of one year, right?
1: Yeah, because so- for many retails like supermarkets and stuff, they did really well. They made a killing during COVID. That's why they doubled two point two billion
4: mother of God. Absolutely. And now you have the likes of Katrina Toomey on uh, the radio saying that there are people in this city who now, even at this early stage in the inflation crisis because it's more coming down the track are facing the choice of heating or easing.
1: But right? why does a Dunn's or a Tesco or a Lidl or an Aldi or a Super Value have to put up any prices if their profits are enormous?
4: The, you know you you're, you're, you're Uh, What does a scorpion do? It stings you, right? It's in their nature, right? And Tesco's job is to maximize profit for their shareholders. And they're doing that ruthlessly. And the other supermarkets are as well. And they'll continue to do so until they're put under real pressure. For example, right, something that, that very few people know, little known fact, the government has the power under the Consumer Protection Act of 2007 to fix prices,
1: On what, though? What prices could they fix? If they could do it and had the will to do it, what?
4: They could uh, name a basket of goods and say that the goods in that basket were fixing the prices at the following rate for six months, and then they have the power to extend them for a further six months. Right, right. So one of the points of the demonstration... Could they do it with
1: electricity? Could they do it with gas? Could they do it with petrol and diesel? Could they do it to hotels who clearly are scalping?
4: They, they could do it with all of the above, and they could do it quite easily, by the way, with electricity because the ESB made €700 million Euro plus profit last year, and that is a state-owned company. So they could freeze the prices there, and the company would probably still make a profit. There's four main points being put across on this demonstration on Saturday. Good God. And one of the, one of the four points is there should be zero profiteering zero profiteering, and there needs to be uh, price control and a clampdown on that type of thing.
1: What about a national strike, though? Is is that something that's been considered, or some kind of protest, which, I mean, it's all very well to stand around and protest on Patrick Street, but who listen?
4: Your texter has the right idea. Uh, The French are very good at doing this kind of thing, and we need to learn from them. One of the messages that'll be going out on Saturday is that any group of renters who are resisting uh, rent increases, people need to get behind them. Another message would be that any group of workers who goes on strike for a wage increase to defend their their wage packet, people need to get behind them. And a third message is that the trade union leaders in this country are not doing their job. We need to light a fire underneath them and we need to put them under massive pressure to do exactly that kind of thing. And
1: you know when you talk about the ability to control those prices, you mentioned the supermarkets or petrol or home media. could they do it as well? Could they they actually control rent or the price that a new house could be sold?
4: Yes, legislation uh, can be introduced uh, which would fix the price of uh, rent. In fact, many campaigners have been calling for months and years for rent rates to be frozen. I think at this stage, freezing the rents doesn't go far enough because if you freeze the rents at the moment you're freezing them at sky high extortionate yes. rates yes you actually need le- legislation to cut rents now the government argument will be well the landlords will get out of the market if you do that all the more arguments why the state needs to intervene and build social housing i mean for god's sake neil we had Balifihan feehan not nahini all of these areas built in times when there was uh, the state had less money and we were a less rich country than we are today. And why are we being told that it's impossible these days? Now, you'd have to do it in a different way. Um, um, but,
1: build um, our own houses, build our own house. Yeah. But, but but how then is it the fact that lots of other countries around the world are also feeling the same pressure uh, as us? Um, if you say it's profiteering, are you saying that all countries and all capitalists? Retailers are, are, are profiteering here, France, yeah. UK. UK is the same.
4: There's a, there's a crowd in America called um, the um, Economic Policy uh, Unit, right? Uh, and they're after doing a study of US inflation from 2020 to 2022, okay? Uh, they reckon that 55% of US inflation is down to what they call excess corporate profiteering, and only 8% is down to wage increases this? there's a woman called isabel schnabel she's on the board of the european central bank uh, she's hardly uh, a raging socialist or revolutionary she says that importation of inflation including fuel costs is a bigger factor in europe but broadly speaking that point about profit and wages applies to europe as well so the government's argument that you can't have wage increases because uh, increases they'll increase prices and you're just ch- uh, chasing your tail That argument is beginning to crumble and we think every worker needs a wage. Okay,
1: so what we're looking at now at the moment is nothing more simple than just pure greed. Um, And you're you're encouraging people to get into Patrick Street on Saturday at 2 p.m. You'll be there. Thomas Gould will be there. You mentioned Katrina will be there. There'll be bus workers there. Students Union will be there and the public at large. Is this happening nationally? It's happening
4: in Dublin, it's happening in Limerick, it's happening in Galway, it's happening in Sligo, it's happening elsewhere, and it's happening in Cork. And in fairness, uh, for a number of months now, people have been grumbling and giving out about the cost of living increases, and rightly so. This is your chance now to do something a bit more than that, to raise your voice, and I hope to see you all there on Saturday.
1: Okay, thanks Mick. As always, Mick Barry-TD, that's two o'clock Saturday, just to Brown Thomas on Patrick Street.
4: Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive.
0: Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
1: Selection of texts who are feeling the pain. We're a middle-income family. We have four children, a 13-year-old car. We bought our house in 2005 in the boom. We have a high mortgage and very high bills. Of course, you paid at the height of the market. We paid ourselves to put insulation into the house. As at the time, they were just thrown up. We're paying childcare to a childminder. There's no child facility where I live to claim tax back on you <laughs> We've no help whatsoever from the state. Sometimes at the end of the month we might have nothing, just waiting for the next paycheck to come in. We're lucky that we have a house that we own and we can pay the mortgage every month, but little more besides. Another one then. One of the alleged reasons put forward for an increase in, say, food prices is packaging costs. Remember that. Given the fact that most packaging ends up in the bin, I wouldn't care if my groceries came in foil or brown paper bags. There are those who have the BT or Harrods syndrome when stepping out in public with bags and packaging and brands if you really think about it it's a nonsense additionally people if if additionally if people like their packaging and showboat their bags they're walking talking unpaid advertisers for whatever they're displaying in public says pat yeah and that's probably as much to say about the woman who you know has nothing herself but puts her kids out in designer gear and um, listening to people then with or without places to live listening to your program and the woman breaking my heart because i was in her situation two years ago i myself for a single mother working part-time i spoke with you before about rents i get hap which is 30 euro a week 120 a month I top up the rent myself to the landlord of 450 euro. I had my inspection recently. There's a hole in the wall in the kitchen. It gets really cold in the wintertime, so my heating needs to be on all of the time. Yes, I am grateful to have a roof over my head and my small son head because his own dad isn't great, but I can tell you it's beyond hard. And others then have been criticizing a comment I uh, was talking yesterday where people were saying that some individuals take advantage uh, of charities when they don't need it at all. I agree 100%. Vincent de Paul are giving it to those who don't need it and not to people who do. My daughter's caravan home was burnt to the ground a few years ago with all they owned in it. And they had to nearly beg St. Vincent de Paul for help. And they were given a 100 euro food voucher and no more. I stopped supporting Vincent de Paul after that. Morning, back about 11 years ago, I worked in Dunn's North Main Street for about a year. The same people were coming in the whole time with St. Vincent de Paul Dunn's vouchers. There were stamped food and clothes only. They would buy the clothes and then return them and Duns would give them back a refund on a gift card which they then used to buy alcohol. This was happening time and time again. Since then, I never donate anything to St. Vincent de Paul. A couple of texts to 86 and there are many more. We'll plough through them. Also, quite a amount of response to Michelle on a situation living on and off for the last two years in her car, would you believe it? But back to the phone lines for now. James, good morning. Good morning, lad. How are you? I'm well, and Michael is standing by. Uh, you wanted to talk about, uh, I was talking about the new buses. Um, we will get maybe about 90 of them now. I don't have the article in front of me, but with an option to buy 800 new double decker electric buses, yeah? Yeah.
5: Well, my question would be what happens the other 800 currently being used buses, some of them as new as 221? The stock would seem to have become quite new over the last number of years. Yeah, they probably
1: will use all the electric buses in Dublin and send all the other ones to Cork and Limerick and Waterford and Galway and places like
5: that, you know? Or Ireland Islands or any show. Double-decker buses won't work well in places, a lot of places around the country. They can only use main roads. So we know Uh, that nearly 81
1: million. The deal has been done already to get 81 million euro worth, with an option to buy up to 800 of them. At a time when people really are making a choice between food and fuel.
5: Well, like I mean, I believe there are other buses, standard uh, fuel buses on order and back order as well, because they were asked when they give the decrease in. The charges and fares. Uh, how would but they cope if there was extra traffic? And they said there was buses on order. No, I know. Coming in like, in December. Yeah,
1: but what my my impression of everything over the years is that the left hand does know what the right hand is doing, and all government no. departments work independent of everybody else. So there's no joined up thinking,
5: James. You know. Well, like I mean, there's a scattergun approach from the minister for transport for a start. I mean, he just ma- seems to make decisions, and they're vetoed. I mean, you look at the roads, the footpaths now have become wider than the roads. The cycle lanes have turned two lanes into one lane. And, and the state of the our of roads? The environment. Have you seen the condition of our roads? Well, were, I was coming through Bandon, and about half one, and they were getting the roads ready for tarring, and I, the road now looks narrower than the footpath and the road is like pothole to pothole to pothole. Trenches everywhere. Badly filled months. trenches from whatever
1: the hell they were doing. It's
5: unbelievable. Like, is, there, is there not, like, I mean, a, a sort of a... Uh, are we not the caretakers or the shareholders in this venture? Is there not a duty of care to the shareholders to spend the money properly? Like, that doesn't seem like proper spending.
1: The up to like 800 electric spending. double-decker buses.
5: Yeah, well, like, I mean, where's the infrastructure? How does it work? Break it down. There's currently a thousand... Well,
1: Eamon, Ryan wants double-decker electric buses and he'll get them.
5: Yeah, but, like, I mean, can he just go out and make a decision like that for that much money? Yet that poor girl was on yesterday morning who can't, who's living in a car. Yeah. No, she's not alone. There are thousands. There are 33,000 in in accommodation at the moment. 33,000 people. We're paying
1: for that. Thirty-three I mean, thousand people. What are you, are you talking about? Refugees
5: between, between refugees and Ukrainian. I believe was the figure quoted. Thirty-three thousand. Okay,
1: you know, cause these would be Ukrainian refugees and direct provision. Thirty-three thousand. You're not adding on to the fact the figure of the amount of Irish people that are in hostels, hotels, no, no, that, and BNBs. That,
5: that, that just said provisional. Now that uh, those agreements are coming to an end soon, they have no idea how they're going to um, accommodate those people. Well, so, like, I mean, why is there no joined-up thinking at all?
1: Because the left-hand and the right-hand of the government departments have all their own individual budgets to spend as they want.
5: But if somebody isn't your show in another country, there'd probably be a coup. Well, I mean... There like are with no, what you were on yesterday, what co- you were on yesterday, the various things, like the car rental. Like, last Wednesday, I was going out to Vlench Island, and I saw three cars there with three couples. And I just said to them, I got talking to them, and they had two Mercedes E-Classes and an Audi A6. I said, you, you really had to pay a lot of money for those. And they said, no, we have been booked two years at the same price.
1: They were lucky and they yeah. honored the price.
5: Well, they have to, apparently, and that's why they're screwing everybody else, apparently. Like I don't know what's happening here. It's 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 like. But you look at hotels, right?
1: Hotels have a cheaper VAT rate than anyone else, nine percent, I think, right? And they were given that as a special case. And what do they do then? They fill up an awful lot of the hotels with uh, Ukrainian refugees and what have you. And then the rooms that they have left, they charge (laughs) sky high prices. um, Having been through with what they call the horrors of COVID, they're just using this as an opportunity to increase profits. Don't kid yourself; that's what they're doing.
5: Well, it's it's reckless, like, I mean, there there seems to be no control. Is it all designed towards the next election to see who gets the votes, who gets the popular opinion?
1: But you must know, you're not naive enough not to know, that every politician and every political party in the state is only interested in one thing, getting re-elected, that's all.
5: Next election, Yeah. yeah, next election. But, like, I mean, we do elect them again.
1: No, nah, well the we're problem. the fools, like we're the lemmings for that. Like that's like the
5: man what did the man say, yes, sir. look in the mirror, and see a fool. That's it, exactly. Okay. Thanks, James. Appreciate right. it. Much
1: obliged. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Michael O'Connell, we've spoken in the past. You, you wanna just pick up on these um, eight hundred electric double decker buses at
6: a time when people are thinking, Will they feed or will they fuel? I know. <laughs> and again, um, I have to point out, these 800 buses are being bought from a British company. Why is that
1: a problem for you
6: if they, if we we so, don't make well, double-decker uh, buses, do we? Uh, no, we don't, but at least we could buy them from our European partners rather than from our British partners. Maybe they That's make the a damn bus, make.
7: though.
6: Maybe they do, but you know, we are European. Uh, We are certainly, our relationship with um, Great Britain is at an all-time low with this Northern Ireland Protocol. So is it a case then
1: that because the UK are outside of the EU and therefore because they went through Brexit, that we can't, because we are in the EU, give them any contracts, is it?
6: Well, no, I'm not saying that. No, I'm just asking, can, can they still tender for contracts? Oh, they can yes, but oh. um, we should we should give our preference to our European partners. You know, we are more dependent on them than ever now.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Oh, but, but, um, but 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 at the same yeah. time, it's still eight hundred double-decker electric buses, and it is still Eamon Ryan who has ordered
6: them. Oh yes, um, you know i may Ryan. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, we are on a, a, a path. ...of disastrous proportions. You know, the ESRI has ranked Ireland... ...as one of the worst energy insecure countries in Europe. And our three government parties signed off... ...on the assessment of our energy security. And Eamon Ryan was party to this. Yet, very recently, he's gone away on a totally different route.
1: Yeah, no, he says going electric will reduce our carbon footprint of our public transport fleet. Interestingly, uh, James a few seconds ago wonders what
6: happened, what will happen with the existing diesel fleet. What will they do with them? Yes, it is a very good point. But listen, the point is, will we have enough electricity? And um, we are at the moment 70% dependent on electricity coming from Moffat in Scotland. If anything happens to that pipeline, our lights will go out, our economy will come to a halt. You know, very recently, um, John Kelly said, Ireland would be mad if it didn't go ahead with this liquefied um, natural gas terminal down in Shannon, creating up to 400 jobs. Where would that gas come from? It would come from the United States being the primary supplier. Uh, these huge tankers that are going around Europe, uh, filling up vital storage facilities of gas. More than fifty percent of our gas comes from electricity, and we are totally dependent on the two pipelines from Scotland. But why, totally, uh, why, why are 70%? we taking Scottish electricity? Why, why can't we? We have no other. We have no other source because of Eamon Ryan. He's blocking providence where there are hundreds of billions of cubic feet of gas in our territorial waters. He has deliberately misled the doyle by saying that Ireland never has an um, ability to produce our own fossil fuels. In fact, he has this idiotic ideology that is all very well to spend 8 billion a year on fossil fuels as long as we don't produce Fossil
1: fuels ourselves. You see, if you've got Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gale being held by the throat by the Green Party, nothing's gonna change to no an election. Oh yeah. See. Yeah. You
6: know, and um, no one can move because he'll bring the government down. <laughs>
1: Text from a business owner here, says, Neil, you, you'd want to be thick to believe that we're not being screwed, man. I own a business and I'm going to close it down and register the business in Poland. I'll save up to 60000 a year on tax and will still be able to work here in Ireland. I know it's not the right thing to do, but it's what I have to do to survive. The government does not deserve the working people of this country. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Closing down your business, kind of technically. I know, but it's, it's to
6: think- It's frightening to think, you know, that in the global GDP per capita, Ireland ranks as the fourth of 186 countries.
1: So you say, say, you're exasperated and frustrated.
6: But, you know, very recently, Eamon Ryan um, has convened um, a meeting with the National Coordination Centre to discuss the oil emergency crisis. He's on record as putting a limit to be placed on non-essential car travel, 2.2 2.2 million cars in the country, and he's putting a limit on non-essential car how travel. Would he,
1: how would he limit people's travelling?
6: It's a very good question. No, but how would and you think
1: he, you do it? Like, he, like how would you te- be able to check how far people were driving?
6: Well, you know, is he going to go as far as saying to the people um, at petrol pumps to question what they're using the fuel for? He wants a strict limit on the amount of fuel that that mortgages can buy at any one time. Oh, I see. How, cra- okay. how crazy is that? Like you how would, crazy would be going that?
1: back to like ration vouchers or coupons. Exactly. Oh, back to God. the, you know, the World War II time. The emergency. Yeah. 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 Okay. 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 Thanks, Michael O'Connell. Appreciate it. Text 0868104106. Michael, good morning. Good morning. The bald barber himself. What's on your mind this morning?
8: Well, I tell you something. Mick is such a hypocrite. Why? When we reopened last year, I had to put my price of my haircuts from 14 euro up to 16, because the cost of plastic, the whole lot. And when I put my prices in, I also gave my staff a wage increase. Okay, yeah, okay. And the first person to crib inside the shop was McBarry. He said, you put up the price of your a 33.3%, and my staff couldn't believe it, right? Well, he got 33 and a turper, I don't know. You
1: went from 14 euro for a bazaar to 16 euro for a bazaar. That's yes. not 33%. No,
8: no. And that's exactly what he used. Was he but in I having his hair cut? He was in to get his bagel to, uh, trimmed up and get his hair cut as well. All right, okay, okay. Well. okay. Yeah. He's but a good I'm, customer. Then, you then, don't want to lose him either by I, calling I, him a hypocrite. No, no, but he is a hypocrite. I mean, I, I can't believe it. that he's there cribbing, trying to get people up to 15 euro an hour. I'd be delighted to see people up to 15 euro an hour. And I think it's only just. And I've been saying to Dunneke, who's with me for years, that all barbers in Ireland should be on fifteen euro an hour plus commission. Because long ago when we started uh, Neil, uh, the barber had a, the senior barber had a gross pay plus commission. Now it's pay what you want, put you down for the minimum wage, and give you one hundred and twenty a day into your hand, hundred and thirty a day into is your hand. Is that hands. what's happening? Is it? That's big time. Big time.
1: How Where are they it's finding the cash, a lot of these barbers? They're not putting it through the right,
8: till. It's, it's not going through. All right. It's not going through. It's cash in hand. It, cash in hand. It's cash in hand. Sounds very unregulated
1: industry to me then, Mick.
8: We are. We are. Actually, in fact, I tell us something. A person rang me from up the country. He said, Mick, did you listen to Claiborne? I said, no. I said, I have Mr. Printable. And then they'd have PG I said, Fair play. Keep over. it local, said, boy. Fair store, play. keep it local. And he said, listen to Claiborne. And the hairdressers and the beauticians were on yesterday in, in Dublin. And everyone were all criminal about one thing, the, the, the foxing, blackbackers, and the vat on haircuts. But I know you don't like to hear that word, Neil. No, because the there's
1: vat on everything, you know. We just there have there to soak yeah. that up, I get but, that. So, but so is, so there is, there is the, that still thriving? That, you know, we had a lot of that during COVID where people were doing we had It is big time,
8: big time. Big
1: time So that would be uh, just direct money into your pocket cash because you d- that's all you do. You, f- you 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 do foxers. You're a hairdresser you pay, or a barber, you pay, you and you
8: you pay you pay, you pay nothing. You and what pay, do you do? Nothing. Go
1: from house to houses, or people come to uh, you? Oh yes,
8: I people bought, both Like my electricity bill since uh, January it was fifteen hundred eighty four for the shop. Yeah, just yeah. for the shop. Yeah, and my shop is not a big shop. Need yeah. And I can tell you, like so those mean, foxing kind of then prices. are
1: doing it in this so called black economy or for cash, they don't have any All of those cash. bills to pay. So. Yes, yeah, so they don't have that, and they I don't that. have to pay tax, and
8: they don't have to pay light heat because yeah. they oh, go I, to I the people there. And they said to me, Come here, could you drop the price for a haircut? I said, where, where do you go for a pint? I Where do you go for a bottle of coke? I said, I should go to McDonald's. Will they take the price take the price off for you? They won't. I said, Why should I take it off? I have to live as well, the same as the other barbers. And I can tell you, any of the registered barbers around town, we talked to another need; they're all down 30% at least. Why? Every one of us are down 30%. Well, it's not that people are
1: getting less haircuts, it doesn't mean there's more no, barbers. No, it's,
8: it's, there's more people cutting hair uh, outside the shops. There's a big black market there at the moment, and the revenue are asleep. And I can tell you, need during the lockdown, these guys were cutting hair morning, noon and night and they were getting 20 and 25 euro in cash. Into the
1: hand. Oh, you yeah, remember, we, we used to call them on the air and book appointments with them just to see and find that's out right, how quickly could right, we could
8: get right. one. Fair juice, fair and we used, to, we used
1: to get people send us, I think I'm, if this is Wednesday, they'd say, I think I might be able to fit you in Saturday afternoon, maybe. Quite maybe. correct.
8: on a Sunday. Or a on Sunday. A Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they worked. I mean, it, Neil, if I had to open my shop on a Sunday here with my staff, we've never opened and we're, uh, on a Sunday, and we're 86 years in business. If I had to open, I would have to give my staff double time after 12 o'clock. There's no way I could afford to do yeah, it. Yeah, I know, I know. There's no way, I
2: know. No, no way. You
1: see, and you, you, you have to play by the, the book. You'll have to play yeah. by the book, where the others don't, you see.
8: Yeah, and in the federation, we have the Barber's Federation, and there's, there's Habik as well, and they're all registered, and they're all above board, yeah. and, them, yeah. and they're doing their best. But they've been screwed. Like, I'm not a company. I'm a sole trader. And I lost by the, the 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 building in Blackpool twice, and I fought back, and it's only on the 4th of September, 2015, that I cleared off the bank while I owed them 3,200 on the building that day and thank God I'm debt free fair play fair play you know and people don't realise it
1: and who'll who'll continue with um, Moriarty's after you retire
8: (sighs) well I'm not going to retire I'm just going to call up and slip away anyway but say when you do and we don't (laughs) want that to happen (laughs) anytime soon will it be the end of it I, uh, I say so unless one of the lads will take over and keep the name there but my but my one daughter is a, a, a teacher and the other girl is a dance teacher with the parts. Yeah. So like I mean, and they won't have any interest in this and there's no one in the family at all. Nephews or nieces have any interest in the business. All when a, did your dad, a, dad start
1: cutting hair on Merchants Key? When was that?
8: 1937, the 1st of February. And I started 13th of March, 1966. And will you think so, you'll get to
1: 2037, the 100th anniversary?
8: You will. Well, right, right. I'll get to my 60th year anyway, <laughs> and I'll get, another, I'll get another four years old, as I said, and we'll get up to 90. Right, and, I have fu- no, and, I, and I have no intention of returning, even though people pull out rumours that I was gone. I'm not. <laughs> God, I'm not. i from gone. And unfortunately, no need. I'm out of getting death right and inside in the shop, I left a tonne of radio off to talk to people.
1: All right, well, that's okay. I'll <laughs> let you off that. But is Mick Barry still wel- welcome back for a of
8: he, he is, of course. I love talking to people. <laughs> I, love to have, I love to have a discussion. And I hope Mick Barry rings me. I hope he's <laughs> listening to me. Because Cheers, think, Mick. Because it's, okay. it's very important to be able to talk to people and listen to people and have their views. And <laughs> that's I what And I hope goes up to 15 All right.
1: Bye. Cheers, bye. my bye man, care. the Baldy Barber. Take care. Nice one. John, good morning. Morning. Just a couple of quick calls here ahead of the outbreak. What's on your mind?
8: Um, just that there was nobody talking. I was listening to your know, conversation with the Green Party there. And nobody's talking about the last election up in the North when they lost their two seats. They had two seats and they lost the two seats. Yeah,
1: okay.
5: So yeah. that's a 100% failure, isn't it? You know?
6: Yeah.
5: And game, are that are that you suggesting
1: that that's what will happen? They'll be slaughtered in the next election. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Watch and, and see. Yeah, and, and without them then, you know, with uh, rising sea levels and climate all over the world getting warmer, without the Greens, in 30 or 40 years, we'll have an unlivable planet for our grandchildren. We'll miss them then.
5: Because right now, when you have people,
8: is it food or fuel, you know, the decisions they're making?
1: Well, that is true, yeah.
8: When you're, I mean, I, I listened to your conversation yesterday morning with that girl and she living in the car, you know. You know, and like the price of petrol, what people are forgetting is the price of petrol in Giza has gone to pay for the the refugees to be taken.
1: No, I don't money. know how, I don't know oh, where you put out get that does. comparison. Without a doubt
8: no. whatsoever. Without a doubt whatsoever, you know.
1: What do you mean? You know? That You mean, oh, right. put up the price of. No, come on, man. That's that's insane.
8: It's a way of bringing the money. If somebody was on Twitter, to go saying the price of uh, petrol in Malta was 100, 100, 100, 134
1: 100. Yeah, 134 And. It's Same in the Canaries, yeah, and it's two or seven here. So you know, two twenty here. Yeah, well,
8: I take two or seven. Yes, they written. Pe- what the
1: diesel um, or petrol? Diesel. I know. Yeah, diesel is lower. I get you, but petrol yeah, is yeah. unleaded is, is two twenty. Okay, all right. Thanks for that. Back after the break.
0: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818-104-106, Red FM.
1: I found a a shocking lack of compassion in a story I came across at the weekend. It was a tweet by uh, Tracy, who is a carer for her uh, beautiful son, Brendan, who passed away recently. And she received a letter uh, directly after Brendan's death, which said, on behalf of this department... This is a disability payment that she was receiving. On behalf of this department, I wish to offer my sincere sympathy to you and your family on your recent bereavement. It has come to our attention that Mr. McGuinness uh, died in May. Payments continue to be collected at the post office up to and including um, the 18th of May. Um, Brendan had died on the 17th of May. This has resulted in an overpayment of €208 from the 18th to the 24th of May. This money now needs to be refunded to the department. As you were the agent on Mr. McGuinness's claim, I'm writing to you for clarification in this matter. And then they give examples and ways that the money can be refunded to the department. Um, It must have come as a terrible shock. It really, truly must have been heartbreaking uh, for Tracy to receive um, a a, a request like that uh, at such a difficult time in her life. She joins me by phone. Tracy, good morning.
9: Good morning.
1: I can't imagine how you felt because uh, when I was reading, I was saying, "Oh my God, Almighty! How could you get something so wrong?" What? What, what did you make of it?
9: Um, well, <laughs> obviously, by my tweet, I was just a little bit colourful. Um, was angry, um, dismayed, but uh, then again, after years of fighting for everything, for from services to care for my son kind of par for the course in a way, but um, appalled. Let's just leave it at that. Mm. It, 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 it's... Mm.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> I can well imagine, you know, just reading the words, like you you were a full-time, 100% round-the-clock carer for your son, wasn't it? He was born with congenital CMV, leaving him profoundly disabled.
9: Yeah, yeah, he was... Uh, uh, 24-7 nursing level care um, and I'm a lone parent but uh, to just to demonstrate his level of care, if I had uh, respite in the home or if he went to respite or in the hospital, he requires um, two people to care for him. Uh, and one has to be a nurse, that's just the regulations around it, like with HSE and such. Um, yeah, I was alone parent care around the clock, and um, mm, mm. Uh, he was medically complex,
1: very complex. And I won't go into the details, yes, but very much very so. Um, Bjorn, yeah. he's not was non verbal, fed using a tube, but um, I, I looked at. Yeah a lot of your tweets going back along. I hope you don't mind. I was just looking at some <laughs> wonderful photographs of you and your son and the love between yeah. you, you know. He, he lit up your life. Yeah, I miss
9: him so much. I can imagine. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And your yeah. son passed away on the 17th of May and then he they ca- they came looking for a payment. Um, what was that about? Like, How, how did that work?
7: Um <clears throat>
9: I thought and and <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one because everybody like on Twitter was going, No, you get it for six weeks, six weeks. For six weeks. Yeah. Um and I thought that's what it was. And um I've I've gotten I have to say this because I haven't said it yet I've gotten some backlash like on some of the articles that have come out that I went to the post office, which is just up the road in my little village. The day after he died. Yeah, I did it the day after he died. You know why? Because I couldn't stand to be in the house. I watched him die and it wasn't pretty. And I held his hand and my younger son held his other hand and watched him struggle. I had to get out of the house. So, yes, it was the next day. But I also had to take care of funeral arrangements and all those other things. As the only adult in the home, I I had to stay focused in that regard. Of of course,
1: the 208 euro is money that you need to survive.
9: Yeah, yeah. And
1: you're telling Um, me that people online were giving a grieving mother whose son had passed away the day before uh, grief for going to get the disability allowance to put food on the table.
9: Yeah, it's, especially because it was the following day. But you know, how dare they it. it was my son, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, but I couldn't stay in the house any longer. I, I, it, It's hard for me even now, four weeks on, to walk past his room. And it, it, it's just, you know, I have depression, I have anxiety, because this has not been easy, this journey. I, and I'm not playing a victim or looking for sympathy. No. I'm just saying how it is. yeah And anyway, I thought payments went for six weeks. I did need the funds. I needed to get out of the house. My son and my other son and I went for a drive and on the way past through the village I said, Look, I'm gonna stop into the post post office real quick and just get this done. And then we continued on our drive.
1: They're suggesting you know, that if somebody has a loss in the family that they should forego their wages. People are disgusting.
9: Well, yeah. Um yeah. It's it's uh, there's look there's there's some people crawling out from under their rocks uh, over all this and it, it's just you know. Has that made has that know, made this
1: nightmare even worse the reaction of some did. trolls?
9: It it did. It, it, uh, you know. <laughs> I I don't even know what what to say to it It, 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 you know I have been so long out of paid employment and my career gone and you know I'm an educated woman, I had a profession once upon a time that's so far gone now and you know I'll be 57 this year, I have health issues now that I have to contend with after years of caring and yeah. But, but to the finances it's like I honest to god thought they continued if i knew it hadn't continued i i wouldn't have stopped at the post office it's not like i really wanted to see anybody anyway
1: i, I see i i it, looked i looked at a lot i looked at a lot of the evidence that was backing up what you did at the weekend and time and time and time again people were saying the same as you it it lasts for 6 weeks um
9: Yeah, and And, and the situation with that is, oh, sorry to cut across you there, sorry.
1: No, go ahead, go ahead.
9: I was just going to say it turns out that it's only in the case of, you see, they say a spouse, a partner, or a cohabitant in the same home. Well, I didn't, I mean, cohabitant, well...
1: That's
4: your me, son.
9: That's everybody that lives in the home. That's yeah. your son, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. apparently not. It means a romantic partner cohabitant.
1: Oh, well, in say that then. Uh, uh,
9: uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and then after this all broke into the news, you know, and there was articles on it, I did some more digging and re- uh, discovered that... Um. See, in the disability sector, when a disabled child turns 16, they're counted as an adult, which to me is a bit bonkers. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, so. I mean, their care doesn't change
1: because they turn 16 or 18, you know.
9: No, and if anything, they're only getting bigger. Trust me, it gets harder.
1: Harder, yeah. Yeah.
9: Every year is harder, but, um, because you're, frankly, <laughs> more tired, and your body is more tired, and your mind is more tired. But um, So, up to 15, a uh, disabled child um, uh, that's been qualified is on what's called domiciliary care allowance, or DCA. Mm-hmm. But when they turn 16, they have to reapply for disability allowance as an adult. Yeah. Um, which is what the process I went through.
1: Correct, and rightly so. But um, your only source of income throughout all of this, caring full-time, 24-7, year in, year out for your son, was €208. Euro.
9: Well, and I also got um, one parent family, which I qualified for because Brendan was getting a uh, disability allowance and I was a car- or because I was a carer. So what I was getting was one-parent family, half-rate carers allowance because you can only get one full social welfare payment at a time, and that was the one-parent family. So I got half-rate carers, and then Brendan got his disability allowance, which I was obviously the agent for. Correct. Um, So when he passed away, everything stopped except the half-rate carers allowance for 12 weeks, which is 112 euros a week. So, so I that's I what you're surviving
1: on now, 112 euro a week.
9: Yeah. And that and happened. Have, and, and there's no compassion the or
1: not no thought whatsoever put into the fact that you are a grieving mother who has just lost the light of your life.
9: And completely financially independent on, or dependent on, those those payments that were coming in. And so when they got. Taken away all of a sudden, except 112 euros a week. I've had people bring that back to me. Oh, but you still get your carers allowance. Yeah, the half rate, 112 a week.
1: What people which, are unbelievable, aren't they? Like,
9: I I know. I spend more. <laughs> why do you read them, Tracy? Why week? do you,
1: Why do you look at them? Why do you read them? Why do you respond? Uh,
9: because I have to say, the majority of people are so lovely and supportive, and that lifts me up. And in, in in a life where I, I don't get out and, and and you know it's just me and my other son who's who turned fourteen the week after his brother died. Um, it. There is such a positive community out there, and they're the ones that keep me going and lift me up through this. But then you see the nastiness yeah, the and nastiness and that, God it's almighty. devastating. Isn't
1: it any wonder it, people it, walk it away from social media. You know, there's another oh, mother. Yeah. There's another oh, mother, I, mother recently who did the very same thing. She was due on air with me early in the week. She had posted something which I thought was a very interesting post about you know mm. kids and and summer jobs and whether they should or shouldn't hand up money to um, uh, to parents. And she got absolutely roasted and had to shut down her Twitter account and everything.
10: Ah, oh, God.
1: You know. You know. I... And t- and tell me what what did the minister say about this, Heather Humphreys? You know this this let this email that seriously lacks (coughs) compassion you know sorry for the death of your son by the way you owe us money.
9: (laughs) Um, She apologized on behalf of her department said she would look into how these letters are um, generated and um, then was asked because she was on the radio on a different show uh, was asked directly, well, does Tracy have to pay the money back? Yeah. And, and, you know, with a hesitation, then she said, well, no, as far as I'm concerned, she doesn't.
1: So She said, as far um, as I'm concerned, this is about common sense and compassion, and no, she yeah. won't have to repay the money. Will she be instructing yeah. that that is to happen?
9: Well, I don't know, but sure, it's been recorded by everybody, so... <laughs> I don't think she'll be going back on it for the likes of 208. But I I, I, I have to say just two quick things. Um, one is that if Brendan was 15 or 14 or 13 or 8 or 3 years old and on the the domiciliary care allowance, right, as a disabled child, those payments continue for three months after that child sadly passes away. But the fact that he was on disability allowance as my child because he was technically an adult at 17 and because he wasn't a spouse or Ah, a living in partner. You're not supposed to know all of that.
1: You're not supposed to know all of that. Has has all of this Uh, taken uh, up. Yeah, go on.
9: um, I've put forward um, a proposal to Heather Humphreys that... This be amended immediately uh, as far as the Disability uh, Act, a, w- a welfare act. Um, and what, uh, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on social welfare um, put that forward this morning in Topical Issues in the Doll and um, in Brendan Bjorn's name, which, of course, uh, really struck home with
1: me yeah, and it's so it should. Um, this would be uh, an amendment uh, uh, to the disability allowance legislation to extend payment yes. following the death of a child and that it would be named after your son Brendan, yeah,
9: and also and, it would prevent it? other
1: parents from getting emails and letters like this
9: absolutely and and from having the Financial rug pulled out from under them immediately following the passing of their child that they have on been On the day so of the passing. On for. the day.
1: Know, yeah. And has it taken it, it's from so your. Inhuman. Has it taken from. The, the? Yes. Has it taken from the whole humanity aspect of you being able to groove, grieve the loss of your son?
9: Absolutely. I mean, I should not even be thinking about this or focused on it. And uh, it, 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 if it wasn't for the advocate that I am and have been for so many years and that kind of fighting spirit in me, I wouldn't have been able to figure this out and put this proposal forward and do everything. I don't want to be doing this. I know. Do you know, and it's not going to help me any. I seriously doubt if this gets through, they're going to go, Oh, by the way, Tracy here will retroactively give you, you know, his, his disability allowance and the one parent payment again. No, that's not going to happen, but it will help. Hopefully, any other parents in my situation coming forward.
1: To offer your sincere sympathy to someone whose son had just died and then say, oh, by the way, you know, you owe us money because you claimed on the the day or the week that he passed away, it is beyond uh, comprehension when it comes to compassion and understanding and respect. It is. And
9: whether it was an automated automatically generated letter or not if it is well that just goes to show they need to put a little bit of humanity in what they're doing
1: unfortunately the world is moving more and more away from that now you get emails where you're told do not reply to them you get bots that have conversations with you that are computers uh, you you don't yeah. get to speak to anyone anymore on a phone it's all automated
9: do I no you know, know, it's a
1: sad thing, I feel. It really and truly is. But listen, yes. thank you so much for taking the call and our our, our, thank you. our condolences on the loss of your beautiful son.
9: Thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Thank Tracy. You. Bye-bye. Cheers.
0: Okay, bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. her
1: beautiful son, Brendan Bjorn. Um, genuinely have no words listening to Tracy just now. How anyone could feel anything other than empathy and enormous admiration for Tracy is beyond belief. I hope she knows that the majority of us who follow her and Brendan's journey over the years know how amazing she is. Well said, Mags. And uh, Janice says... this. this. Same thing happened to my father. He passed away on the 28th of March 2021 around the social welfare on Monday the 29th of March to cancel his pension. His pension automatically went in that week on the Thursday after I cancelled it and I got a letter from social welfare to pay it back the following week. My father lived alone and was in hospital for just over four weeks, got diagnosed with motor neuron disease, passed away two weeks after diagnosis. He was not cared for like what that lady did for 17 years for her son, but a bit of compassion could have been shown from the Department of Social Welfare. Total disgrace, it says Janice. Thank you for those texts. Keep them coming. Text six eight one zero four one zero six. The world of automation, of course, takes compassion and empathy and common sense out of everything. You know, you're looking for help from somebody, you go on a, you know, you pick up the phone, you get an automated system, press A, B, C, D, you you send an email, you get an automatic response saying, you know, click on this link to look at frequently asked questions. They're never the questions you want to ask. You get these robot bots that they actually give people, they actually give them names. These are just bots. They're just Computer programs that have names and they try and behave as if they're somebody typing on the other side. Don't don't get me started. Um, from yesterday's program, Michelle, who's been living in a car, um, and hopefully we'll have an update on that a little later on this morning. There, there, there should be a good positive update for her. My heart's breaking listening to that poor woman on the radio who's been sleeping in her car for nearly two years. Unfortunately, I'm not able to contribute financially because I'm out of work. But I'm an artist, and I'm thinking maybe I could donate an art piece or organise an auction on my social media and give this woman 100% of the proceeds. That's a beautiful thing. I think a beautiful piece of art would be lovely when she does find herself a little home. Please, can you tell that lovely lady that is living in her car that she can stay with my husband and two two children in a home in Lismore County Waterford? I work in Cork, and so does my husband. So you can bring her up and down if she needs to be there. Lismore is a beautiful little tourist town. We have a beautiful community and she would be very welcome, says Maxine. Morning, I have a converted garage bedroom with an ensuite. It has its own front door. If this lady wants it for a few months, we're a family of three in Ballinlock, says Mary. Amazing. There'll be her own little place, for want of a better word, a granny flat. A chef I know starts a new job this week on a two year contract, feeding the Ukrainians. His budget is €58 a day per head to feed each of them, per family member. Then we have a homeless Irish girl living in her car for 19 months, says Josie. You're telling me that the two-year contract, feeding refugees, he has a budget of €58 a day per person to feed them? €58. I mean, that's a lot of money in food per person per day, isn't it? 58 think of what you can buy for 58 euro per day i'm happy to help this woman find a job or contribute food vouchers i can get a cv and applications done for her print out the cvs get her some clothes for the interview happy to do anything i can i have no space to offer but i can be a support for finding work or food vouchers you can share my details with her i'm a 35 year old female I'm happy for her to call or to meet me if I can be of any support I can, says Karen O'Sullivan. This talk, Oh, that's fabulous. I hope Michelle has, knows all of these emails, texts. Does she know them all? Yeah, she's got them all. I mean, it must, must be fabulous reading for her to hear that there's so much compassion and kindness and generosity out there. Doesn't surprise me.
11: I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie.
0: 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Friendeville Show. It's outrageous and disgusting how quickly our
1: government fork out for foreign nationals who won't look after our own. I'll just read these texts out. I could have opinions on all of them. i be here on the morning all morning ranting. I'd love to help Michelle and give her a place to stay or money in return for help around the house. Hi, I would love to help that woman uh, even if it's just to meet up and pay for a hot meal. What fantastic people who have contacted you all morning. So heartwarming to know if you're in trouble. There's always help there. Doesn't say a lot about our politicians. Not one has called to offer any assistance to this lady, says Tony. And not only do we have Irish sleeping in their cars we have Irish people sleeping in tents and in fields morning I listened to that poor lady earlier and it really would make you angry with this country why don't we look after our own first how many non-nationals are housed in every town village city across the country and this is only one lady there are many more like her unfortunately it's a disgrace when will we see change? as a concerned member you know the problem here is you can't be turning your ire and your anger and your annoyance on people who are here to better their own lives you know that just creates hatred and division. Your anger and your attention would be turned on those who create systems like this where you have people sleeping in cars. You know, like, I just think that you need to be very careful that you don't want to cause uh, division or, or hatred or, or racism. I can't get my head around the 58 euro a day to feed each Ukrainian. I mean, I'm delighted for them if the, if the food budget is 58 euro a day. You know, but if you have, say, um, four in the family, and it's 58 euro per head a day, like that's over 232 euro a day food allowance. <laughs> I just want to crawl under a rock, never come out. As a concerned member of the public, I feel that Irish citizens of Ireland are completely left down and out of touch with reality. Um, government, I do believe, yes, I believe there's a huge recession on the horizon. Uh, that we have bitten off more than we can chew I am struggling and have asked for help from government officials no avail, it's very disheartening I will be on the streets though on Saturday for the protest as they say actions speak louder than words I was told to give up my course and go on job seekers after three years on the course so I would then get support from the government that kind of a system that encourages that to give up your course and go on job seekers is very wrong if we were going down a black hole in Ireland due to greed or unorganised no government priorities. Electric buses, another joke. By the way, Neil, they're only coming to Dublin and Limerick, as announced on the news last night. Era when they're a bad idea and they bring them in, they don't even give them to us. So there's all those and lots more besides. Now, with that in mind then, um, a couple of updates from Michelle. She had a good day yesterday uh, and we got some updates for her. A lot of people asking to help. And all of the texts that i 've got, um, Kevin is in regular contact with Michelle, and she sees all of the texts, yeah, so she 's aware of them, and I suppose she 's getting an awful lot of uh, i suppose she 's getting an off a good lift, i suppose, from the fact that people are caring so I got a text then myself yesterday from friends of mine who have a particular property that they felt might have it's, might have suited her right um, and it, they're in the middle of renovating and, and it's a small little cottage and it's nice and it's in a particular Cork suburb I don't want to say who they are or where they are but that seemed to me as a way of getting Michelle out of the car and you've been working on that right?
7: Yeah we we actually i am literally just off the phone with Michelle here now she literally just rang me as we came out of the news there at 11 o'clock so um, Michelle is in contact with this couple um, and they have agreed an arrangement between themselves but that needs to pass HAP um, regulation. So the HAP
1: issue is that the standards at this college which is being renovated is quite old mm. and it will depend on whether HAP accepted as a rental accommodation. Exactly, okay. exactly. So our fingers are crossed that that will happen but if it doesn't happen there's a huge amount of offers here.
7: And julie uh, sorry not julie julie's our next caller i'm getting yeah. confused michelle is uh michelle it was in touch um to say that she's already rung back a few people who've offered her uh, work um i think there was one out in blarney and one further north uh, in cork so she's uh, she's already in the process of contacting people for work um she says she's she's feeling like so much better this morning," she said. "The total weight has been lifted but off her shoulders. But look at this one
1: here: a converted garage, which would be a granny flat. It's a bedroom with an ensuite, its own front door, um, and she can have it for months. It's in Lock That's, I mean, get out of the car, and get into that now.
7: Yeah, hundred oh, percent. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, the dust, just just I, yeah. I don't remember a day where we've had so we've been so busy and inundated with calls from people yeah. in Cork. It's, yeah. it's an amazing yeah. city. So she said, I do want to give a heartfelt
1: thank you for the kindness shown by your listeners and all of the practical offers we made, offering to help with places to stay, job search, CV preparation, interview clothes, simply uh, simply company or a chat or a hot meal. It is overwhelming. And I'm so grateful. That sums it up. Absolutely, well said. Well okay, so you're on that one. Kevin's on that one, and he'll bring it all the way uh, to the close. Back after the break.
0: Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Corks Red FM. World is changing, guys, and
1: it's becoming more and more impersonal. And that may be acceptable to many who, of course, have laptops or have tablets or can do business on phones and can source what they need all of the time. But for others, and for anyone, I suppose, really, you need the cost. You need the touch, or you need human contact. I mentioned. That earlier on this morning, with regards to trying to navigate through things that you do in life that needs help or questions answered, God knows it's never been as hard and getting a hell of a lot worse. Now, I hear um, citizens' information uh, centres are closing and they are just going totally online. Would that would that mean that going forward there would be no walk in? Let's find out. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Now, we go? You were a member, are a member of the. Citizens Information Centre say in Cove
12: Uh, I'd say I I was a volunteer Okay, what's happened? Well, um, post-Covid they have not reopened and um, they have decided that they're coming up with a new policy that volunteers are no longer required
1: Okay, just turn that radio down if you don't mind and what you're describing say for instance in your centre in Cove is being rolled out right across the country, is it?
12: Oh yes, yeah, yeah, there was, uh, I, I've been speaking to other volunteers up and down the country and there was an article in the mail on Sunday about it, about an office in Rathmines in Dublin, but okay. they were closed. <laughs>
1: so the walk-in, say for instance, in the city, citizens' information, closing?
12: Uh, I t- I, to my knowledge, there are paid employees in Cornmarket Street, but the small offices like Cove, um, Mitchellstown, Mallow, are only on uh, a sort of a, a Zoom or a telephone service.
1: Zoom or telephone. So you can pick up the phone and talk to somebody.
12: You can pick it up, but I guarantee you, if, if you ring, I know I rang the call of office three times last week, and uh, just leave your name and address and we get back to you.
1: All right. So did anybody get back to you? No. All right. So that won't work clearly, and you have the proof. So the rest of it then would be log on online, is it?
12: Well, they, they're, they're saying that we we get back to you, like, but you know, yourself, like that, that when you when you try and talk to people and you're waiting for people to ring you back, and you don't get an answer back for two or three days, you you just throw your hat at it, you know, and you try and get information somewhere else.
1: And citizens' information. Um one could walk in there for all sorts of information about different things, different entitlements, different services, you could have e- even legal queries and things like that. Yeah,
12: yeah. and, and, and we, we could also follow up with, with the, de- the department why people weren't getting the service or why they were being refused. And the other most important thing from, from some people's point of view was assistance to fill out a form. Go away. You yeah. can't fill out a form on the phone or a Zoom, like, you know, and... and Every time, every time I go downtown now, people are approaching me. Firstly, when are you opening again? And I say, well, you know, there's nothing on the right? dike. And then they say, well, can you help me with this? Can you tell me where to go? Can you tell me what to do? And, you know, it's, it's people in this, in this bad times that we're in at the moment. They need that sort of advice. They need that assistance.
1: Yeah, we are turning it... We have become a very impersonal world, wasn't it? You know, very soon there will be no face-to-face. The banks don't want you. The banks don't even hold cash. Yeah. They certainly don't want you walking in anymore. Right. Um, you know, everybody's gone online, and it's a very yeah. impersonal world. Is it, that, is it that maybe they don't want us to have the information that we're entitled to, or am I being,
12: well, am, am I being uh, a
1: bit paranoid? Uh,
12: I got a response from the minister's office recently, and what they said was, I'm waiting to hear this one. Uh, the service has operated for the last two years without volunteers. So it doesn't seem to be any need for volunteers at this point in time. Now, <laughs> the reason citizen's information was not working operation was because of COVID. And for a minister to respond to my query as to why the offices were not open, it seems a laughable answer. And definitely that answer came from Citizens Information Board.
1: No, I'm just wondering, do they want people to remain ignorant, is it, of services well, it, and information it, it, by closing the I've, walk-ins? Uh,
12: recently I've noticed that on social media, they're actually putting up information. Citizens Information are putting up you know, you can apply for you know, back to school allowance or that, that type of thing is popping up on social media recently. So I, I get the impression like that, right? I don't know whether... It's a government policy that they don't want people to ask questions. You would
1: think, wouldn't you? That's it what I would like think. It, yeah.
12: it sounds yeah. like it. Like, like what they've told us is that... And know, for many
1: of them, they'd be citizens that cannot use or access or don't have broadband or Wi-Fi or computers or laptops.
12: And, and, and you know yourself, Dale. You try ringing at a, 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 any special department, you're either 20, 30, 40 minutes waiting for a reply. And in some cases, at the end of the 40 minutes, it just goes dead.
1: We all know that. Not a single one of us would know the frustration of that.
12: And and most people are using mobile phones. And if you're waiting 40 minutes on a phone, on a mobile phone, by the time you get to your 40 minutes, your credit is gone or whatever, you know. So, So
1: closure of citizens' information services across the country to move online to get rid of all volunteers who are no longer needed nor required. Thank you very much.
12: Yeah. Well, you, you, you take here in the cove office, we we, we operated Monday to Friday from half 9 until half twelve, five days a week. We had 12 volunteers. They are now saying that they only want a receptionist and a paid employee in the business. But how
1: many people were coming through your doors in those opening times?
12: Oh, we, we, we had the highest number of uh, callers, queries and uh, responses. On a daily of, basis. Of, 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 the, of, of the whole of, of East Cork, North Cork. Uh, every know, day, it, it, every it, day, it, half nine to half twelve, you were half busy. Half nine to half twelve. And we used to have two, two information providers and a paid employee in the office. And we were busy, I'm not saying every morning, but most mornings. It depends what was topical at the time, coming up to kids going back to school, or the week after the budget, or fuel allowance. You know, it, it depended at the time of the year how busy you were going to
1: be. Yeah, no, it's uh, a, everything, everything's uh, everything. going that way. Online, online. Get rid on of on human on contact, online. It,
12: yeah,
1: and, and Automated uh, answers. And Pick A, an- B, C, D. Don't answer questions. Yeah, we don't want you to be able to ask questions, as see, John. Okay. We don't want you to have information that you're entitled to.
12: Yeah, you know. I, 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 I get that impression. I, I don't know whether it is a policy or not, but, you know, no, no one seems to be able to come up with an explanation as to why the volunteers. Okay. Like, in, in the South Munster area, where we had volunteers, there was 230 volunteers. They now want to run the service, the whole service, the whole country, with 100 volunteers. <sighs> I
1: don't know. I don't know, is there something in the water or
12: what? Like, or is something I, about I don't breathing? know, I don't know. And, and, are, and are we they,
1: really that stupid?
12: And the response, the response like, like that people are getting from ministers and TDs is absolutely hilarious.
1: Worked fine during COVID. <laughs> It'll work fine <laughs> yeah. after. Us. yeah. Yeah, don't come back to work, stay working at home. Incidentally, that's one of the greatest swiss games I've ever come across, this working from home lark. You know people who are working from home, they should be charging their employer rent. Exactly. Their employer should be paying them rent in, in, for the rent. space in, in, in the in, house in, that they're off renting off. to them to do the work for them. And yet nobody talks about this.
12: But the big, the big problem we have is, is the sense like, that the doors are closed and people can't walk in I know. and, and you know people need a walk in service they do, they do, they're exactly
1: particularly vulnerable members of society and more even, so than in, anyone else even when,
12: they, when, when, they apply, when they apply for sending a form to somewhere they get an answer back uh, your, your application has been refused Yeah. no explanation, no nothing and that yeah. was when we
1: you kicked in then didn't you you were there on a daily basis for people to help them through exactly. that process
12: And the thing about it is that at the moment, there's an office in Cove that's costing big money to rent. There's a 10-year lease on it. I despair. Are they going to be sitting there
1: for the uh, nick? I despair, man. I don't know. It's, I, don't, I think this is all a big, great big wind up. Thanks John. Sorry Bye. to hear Bye. it brother. Thank Take you. Cheers. Cheers. Take but care. About it, all right. right. Well, so. you've done that now. Thank you. Back after the break. Text 0868104106.
0: The Neil Prendeville show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 106. Tracy's son, Brendan, died, of course.
1: And the next day, of course, she got that horrible letter, that awful letter from the department looking for money back. What an amazing lady, Tracy, is she gave all. She gave her all to Brendan. And truth be told, Brendan lived simply due to his amazing mammy, who fought for absolutely everything for her beautiful son. He was soaked in so much love. It's so low that all these trolls would then post such awful comments. Their comments say a lot about them. They don't understand, as they clearly have not had to walk in Tracy's shoes. A mighty lady, Lady Tracy is. Thank you for that uh, text. Text 0868104106 to another carer. Julie, good morning. Thank you for holding.
11: Good morning Julie. Uh, Thank you. For You're
1: a um, carer for your ma'am, isn't that right? I am indeed. Okay. And your ma'am is you. not 90? Is that okay? Am I right to say that? She's
11: 90. She is 90 okay. and a much-loved member of our family life here at home. Okay, I live in the Fremoy area. Uh, for the first time, I have applied for respite um, in my area, in the North Cork area. And I'm not talking about Middleton or Mallow or Kentark or Cove or anywhere like that. I live in the Fremoy area. Mm-hmm. I had booked my mam in for respite bed, our first time ever, to our local area and her name was taken, everything was good. This is on the background of we have never looked for respite. She's well cared for. We live with me and my family. We have come out of a pandemic equally and my kids here are looking to get away now because they have been superb all the way through the pandemic in caring for Nana as well. Well as done everyone, everyone yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the it's idea wonderful. now is to take a week and go somewhere I take a is that- week.
11: And and, yeah, and 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 yeah we had and have booked a place um, to go and it's local as well it's not going abroad or anything like that but 10 working days ago I got a call from my public health nurse to say due to administrative issues in this respite area that June respite was cancelled and 3 working days ago I got a phone call from her as well lovely girl to say I'm so sorry but it's closing for July and August as well. Is this a there nursing home facility? Forgive me. It's a respite facility, a um, HSE-run facility. They're closing it. They are closing it due to administrative issues. What does that mean? You see, this is what frustrates me. What does administrative
1: issues mean?
11: So I've had nothing official. HSE will never go anything official. But... My uh, grapevine is that there's no chief medical officer, i.e. GP cover, to cover this respite facility. This is an ongoing issue, certainly since before 2012. A lot of our local councillors have been agitating about it. Secondary to care is ringing in. Um, and That they would need system. a
1: GP on call or on site at all times?
11: to cover that would be on call I suppose that would do rounds inside there and make sure that the residents in there for the short period of They can't of time find a GP
1: it, to be on call for a respite centre in Car.
11: Yeah, in this year. For June, July it's, and August. Yeah, it's, it's I think that they opened again now the background of this is in this particular care facility that it was a day um, area for uh, many years ago it changed to offices it then changed and was refurbished to take in um, people that needed to isolate during the pandemic, so there was considerable influx of money into it. It was always meant to be a respite facility, but pandemic, there was no people getting respite anyway. No. So it changed then to for people to isolate if they were in communal houses or a step-down facility that they'd come out of hospital and continue on. Oh, yeah, but that's that's all there. the
1: past, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then
11: that changed again in December. Local councillor will in, well, local councillor would have brought up that it's the respite going to open again now so it opened in February and I'm sure I think the administrative issues one of them I think the administrative issues would have been that there was no GP and a GP that is near retirement or maybe came out of retirement said he would cover okay. the area so in February there was
1: no GP so no, a retired no, GP it, jumped in to fill the gap yeah
11: there, there is no GP cover and then a retired GP or a fellow near to retiring probably said that he would cover it in the shortfall and um, HSE spokespeople have said since last December and I, and probably before that they are trying to source the GP and basically I think now, I think I don't know this officially, but the GP that was covering the shortfall I think is now going to retire full time, you're and going they, to retirement yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The HSE can't Jesse no. can't find a GP to hire,
11: and and the conversation is God. I have spoken to TDs about this, and they have been into our mm. meetings with community services, etc. That there is a global shortage of GPs, and also there is a global shortage of home helps, and that you know that our medical colleges are so full of students,
1: our interns are all are full in the our hospitals are to full honest, of interns. Yes,
11: that's a separate issue because interns, etc. Are all leaving the system and heading to Australia. I was trying Finish my sentence, but they're
1: not staying afterwards. Their quality of life is crappier. They don't want to work here.
11: So, basically, um, I have sourced something and added stress to myself, and this is in no way... Um, anything against the public health nurses, the frontline workers in my local area. The reason I would have preferred my man to go to this area is because she would know the people looking after her, she would know the neighbours coming in visiting their carers or the, their their residents that were in there, etc. Now, I have sourced something. What? So if I you know don't I mean, I didn't mean, I
1: didn't mean to overly pry, but is it a similar respite facility
11: somewhere else? It's a, it's a private nursing home. It's a private nursing home because I'm sure the public health nurses now are bringing the people that were booked into this respite area and they're equally scrambling to they are and did
1: you have to pay them for the private care?
11: They are actually paying um, towards it. So yeah.
1: they can't fire they can't find a doctor to use the public respite system so they'll pay okay. you privately to put your loved one in a private in private respite but, but,
11: but they have offered a respite facility in another area. And they were trying to get, get the patients that were booked into this facility I'm talking about and, and getting them down to that to contracted beds in a HSC facility further west from us, shall we say? I can't say It's, it's
1: chaotic, isn't it?
11: It's just it is chaotic. But my, my point here is is that there are two points three uh, three points. One point is that I care for my man at home, the a valued member of our family life here. But I am saving. If you t- if she was to go into long term care, then her pension would go towards that. And a private nursing home contracted beds cost four thousand euro a month. There was thousand euro a week on average. Man's pension would go towards that, so then the HC would pay three thousand euro a month. Multiply that by twelve, I don't know, I think up to thirty six or thirty eight thousand That's what you're just saving etc. the state. Yeah. Exactly. And probably more.
1: Forty okay. grand at least I, a year, you are, yeah, yeah you are. I
11: am yeah. I'm doing this quite willingly with my man. I am a sandwich generation. I'm caring for my man and I also care for my kids. And I have reduced my hours at work. Thankfully, they have allowed me to do that so that I give carers um, leave for minding my man one day a week and then home help. Thankfully, that we were in the system before these shortages, that we have that in place as well the other um, few days. OK, and I your other point? Other point is, um, is that if there is a global shortage of GPs and if it's going to be an ongoing thing, then the pandemic has surely taught all of us, including the HSE, that they must think creatively outside the box. But,
1: but who so said there's a global shortage? of? I don't believe I, that. I don't well, think that's the case in Spain. It certainly um, isn't the case in Australia.
11: This, this is what... I'm hearing from local representatives. This is what they're... But they don't
1: know what they're talking about if they say global shortage. We have an Irish That'd shortage and there's very but clear reasons why.
11: My point is that if that is the answer, that, look, there's a shortage everywhere we're trying our best, then that leaves me still with no respite okay so my point is is why can't the people that are booked in for respite go in under their existing GPs that why do they need well, the a, GP a, a chief medical officer?
1: the GP okay. would have to call into the into the um, nursing home okay. then they, they, they won't the do that
11: Fair enough, but but again, you know, they, they, these people are living at home under their ordinary GPs, and they're called on very rarely. I'm sure to they go for their three month checkups, they get their bloods taken. I don't know. they're, I don't know. Okay, so the stranglehold is apparently that there's no GP cover. I would also suggest that maybe there mightn't be nursing cover, and they're looking for agency, and, and can't afford or won't pay agency nurses to cover the shifts. And number two why can't they think outside the box and maybe put in an advanced nurse practitioner to cover these areas instead of saying a GP cover if a GP could be the clinical lead and the advanced nurse practitioner could go and do the rounds and maybe feed back to him advanced nurse practitioners in the future are going to be bridging the gap between lack of GP cover and accessing hospital services HSC Saunter Care HSE National Service Plan have outlined that they want to keep people in the community they want to optimise their care at home they want to put in the services they want to lean out the process and just get it working as efficiently as possible yet I am delivering on all those points that that HSC service plan outlines and saunter care I am actually ticking the box I'm keeping my mother at home I am looking after her I'm getting her bloods done I'm doing her, death. I'm doing her this I'm doing her that I'm actually delivering on all of it Yes, yet we can't get respite for her for Mm. much needed breaks I will collect her the day that she's finished respite she'll come back out to her family again. no problem but it's not just me no I'm
1: quite sure there are others because that would be a busy period for respite across the summer Yes. yes
11: there will be others in our community and this is not resolved there is refurbishment going on in the local hospital I would also like to highlight how many of the beds that will be in there will be assigned over to respite if the actual respite facility is closing secondary to lack okay. of, secondary to administrative <coughs> issues, shall we say.
1: Okay, well, let me yeah. find out if other people are struggling also with regards to respite facilities. But thank also, you for highlighting it. Yeah. And
11: yeah. yeah. Neil, one more thing. I was given very little lead time. The HSC, no. Oh, by
8: the way, was it a week or what?
11: This was just for one week. Respite usually is a two-week thing. I didn't know that. I am booked in um, for a week in August as well. And she will go to the alternative respite facility okay. that they have offered, which is a lovely facility as well. Thankfully, it's there. But I think that in my catchment area, it's an ongoing issue okay. for a respite cover. And I think that going forward and has been for years but I think it's a fairly affluent area we live in, and I think that people are living longer. And I think that as it goes on, they will say again, like your last caller, "Will you finish with this down in the other it place?" It was so fine wide, all along. Yeah, exactly. yeah, It's yeah. not fine all along. Okay. It's just it's doing us, but it's not fine.
1: Okay, get a, have a good break nonetheless, in spite of everything Thank else. You so Thank you so much.
0: Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 86 Red FM.
1: Respite-related calls, if you have them, certainly going across the summer with a loved one going into respite, or not, do text 086-8104-106, and you can also email neil at redfm.ie. Didn't get to this yesterday. Uh, but I certainly had uh, picked up on it like many people do I did. And it was one of the, we're in the middle of the Leaving Cert now, and one of the Leaving Cert questions on the home economics paper uh, has been heavily criticized. It starts with one person and everybody kind of jumps in on it. I understand how it works um, because everybody's entitled to an opinion. But apparently the question was asking yoga adults to discuss how color can be used to flatter body size and shape. And then a lot of critics were saying that thousands of Leaving Cert students have already got eating disorders and body sensitivities. And the question about how colour can be used to flatter body size and shape um, is basically uh, another way of asking how to look thin. Uh, And we were asking the question online, do you think it's an appropriate question to ask in a state exam? Um, One of those that were very critical of it was Stephanie Preisner who says it's ridiculous that the Leaving Cert economic paper asked discuss how colour can be used to flatter body size and shape. As if thousands of students sitting exams already don't have eating disorders and body sensitivity. Um, the question is really should be worded how to look thin. So people said we're rearing some snowflake flakes and you people in the media aren't are helping the cause. Uh, way worse things happening in the world today. Too many overly sensitive folk. It's a random question. I don't see anything wrong with it. Now, I wouldn't say it was a random question. The question has to be based on what was taught in school. Most likely. There was a module of some sort. Yes, the actual module itself, I believe, had to do with um, home economics, textile, fashion and design. And you got 40 marks for answering the question in the section textile, fashion and design. Discuss how color can be used to flatter body shape and size. Um, So it was about textiles and fashion, color, right? How color can influence body shape, let me get it right again so I'm not misrepresenting it, I can flatter body size and shape. Uh, for God's sake, at this stage, we should be supporting mental health and how to cope in the workplace as well as emotional health well, well-being. The leaving certificate seriously needs to change. Um, a, lot of teenagers are, are, uh, a lot of teenagers are overweight and obese. I think the question was fair given that historically women are known to buy clothes that cover bums, tums and arms. Kids might not be able to control their shape and size, but it's good to teach them ways to dress that makes them feel comfortable about themselves. Body size, whether it be fat, thin, short or tall, are real issues for young people. We need to stop pussy-footing around it. Um, If you're obese, don't wear crop tops, letting your welly-belly flop out. The same goes for men. Don't go topless if you're obese. You can't say the FAT word anymore as well. Um, And the same goes for varicose veins on legs. Only in my very honest opinion. Don't crucify me now. Or as it says here, don't crucifix me, please. Or I'll get hurt and offended too. And I'll seek refuge. Um, They looked for a fence in a question in the Leaving Cert and they found it. Call 999 to fix their feelings. This is worse than a bomb on their home. Uh, Grow up, snowflakes. Thank God we're not at war, relying on these snowflakes to keep the Russians out. Oh, no, their feelings are hurt. Call 999. This is worse than the war in Ukraine. (laughs) Interesting (laughs) response to that. Uh, Let me get the thoughts, actually, of Sharon Huggard, who's, as she describes herself, a busy mum of three, wife and business owner. Uh, She's got the uh, internationally certified stylist and coach. And we've spoken in the past. I asked her to take a look at this for me. What do you think, Sharon?
13: Hi, good morning, How Over are you? the
1: top reaction or does <laughs> yeah, it does it trigger issues? I mean it, it's
13: very polarizing. it, is, I, mean, it is, I even did a poll in my own group and you know sixty percent thought it was okay and or sorry, sixty percent thought it was wasn't okay, and four percent thought it was okay. So it is very polarizing um kind of question. I suppose where I'm dealing with I'm dealing with women, probably their mothers <laughs> and that you know, that are measuring their body worth on the scales and our, you know, body image is at an all time low. So you know i think you know if, when we know better we should do better and i just think that that question um i would i have a daughter doing home economics and i have a son myself doing new lead insert and i think that you know the, the scope for the question could have been yes color you know color is amazing color it can enhance your mood it can um you know it's you know for my daughter to be looking at instead of how to make herself smaller how she can express herself through style through color the psychology of color um, empowering yourself to call it's you. A, I, a, think I, a, a, I
1: know, but if it's, a, if it's discuss how colour can be used to flatter body size and shape, it's kind of telling yeah. you um, um, discuss how the colours you wear can make you look yes. thin when you're fat.
13: Yeah, yeah that is the question. Is, um, that is, is that what it's that saying? No, I mean, yes, the language. No,
1: I accept that it's, it's in a textile fashion and design question within home economics. And somebody said to me, in home economics, I was taught textiles. And we were taught mm-hmm. vertical stripes elongate the body. Certain yes. patterns can make you look better depending on your body type, dress shape, suits, women, and you know things like that. Yes. So it actually is a technical question that is it discussed is, I mean, and is, taught. It
13: is a technical question, absolutely, and it is, I understand that. You know, that it is a technical question. It does have merit in, you know, textiles. In and um, but, but the question doesn't kind of say you know you are a fashion designer and you're usually you know I mean? this kind of is relating it back to every individual and every child you know every well, young adult um, and it's kind of not I suppose the, the question isn't worded you know in, in that in the context so this the question looks you know the flattering I think is the thing that has everybody up in arms and the nuance is about hiding parts of your body.
1: But why, like, why would know. they get annoyed like the people all the time are saying it doesn't look good on me or ah, that doesn't suit you it, like, can you not say and do that anymore now?
13: Yes, I suppose yeah, yeah, you can, <laughs> um, but I suppose it's just the fact that these are young adults, and is that what we want? Is that the only focus we want fashion to have for them? Should, should they not be joyful? Should they not be expressing themselves? I prefer them to be learning about sustainability. Um, you know, is it not a way to reflect your unique? If that, if that is the only, part, you know, kind of focus of clothing to make you look smaller, thinner, that sucks the joy <laughs> out of getting dressed, and. Um, yeah i i just i just think it does it really just it's that's fo- the main focus of looking smaller when you get dressed um and we thinner that,
1: is it thinner
13: yeah thinner yes yeah, are thinner in like yes absolutely that is the that is the what because you because
1: you say also that you spent over 30 years defining your self-worth by reason, reading the scales mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. stopped yeah okay
13: Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I would have, again, I mean, this isn't new, you know, body comf- con- body confidence issues and wanting to, you know, societal pressure, conditioning for generations. And, you, you know, I understand it's not going to impact everybody, but the people that it does impact, I suppose, it does hold them back from doing things. It does, I mean, the women that I'm dealing with in, business, um, in my business, they're stopping themselves from getting into photographs, they're stopping themselves from going out to... And social events, they're stopping themselves, and we want better for our daughters. Why?
1: Why are daughters. they? Why aren't they not doing the above? Is it because, because they don't like the they, shape of their body?
13: Yeah, and they put up. You know, maybe they they put on weight, especially COVID, I suppose. And the, the, you know, with the in social media, and you know, editing, um, and putting up our highlight reel, there is pressure to, um, I suppose, to kind of always look good and feel good, and that can be done whatever size you are.
1: Yeah. However, a question within the home economics paper on textiles, fashion and design should be asking some kind of question on what looks good on some people and doesn't look good on others and colors and shapes. Surely be to God. I mean, like uh, I understand that some people say, well, it could upset people who have body image and image problems as it is. I, yeah.
13: Yeah, I, I think maybe but, the question should have just given context. You are a fashion designer. Do you know what I mean A you are designing
1: clothes in that know? in that sense? So you're a yeah, fashion designer. Discuss how color yeah. can be used. Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah,
13: rather than every single person at home having that as their main consideration, I mean, there's enough. I think our daughters under enough pressure, um, you know, to look conformant, to raise standards, to these ideal of perfection, which isn't even. I mean, there's only five percent of of the world have this body shape that is perfection and they're not even perfect perfect enough they have to be airbrushed and they have to be enhanced so it's just chasing this kind of i suppose elusive ideal and i think that you know you don't want that to be your daughter's main consideration when she's getting dressed
1: would it be a reasonable question to ask if you were going to go on and into a career in fashion and textile and design
13: I think, to, as I say, technically, I think you know. I mean, technically, there is a merit in in, in in it, but again, I would like the focus to be taken away from that when you're getting dressed, as to you know, mood enhancements, you know, kind of um, looking good, feeling good. Even, yeah, I think
1: you'll you know, never get that. Tell Sharon, people will look at the mirror know, and they'll know, see the shape of their body and they'll say, "Well, wear clothes that that Why will wear clothes that accentuates the body I want?" So
13: it like... Yeah, 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 and you know, there there is that. Absolutely, tools to do that. But I think I suppose the work that I do as well is kind of, and that's why I do like I'm a fashion, um, you know, fashion um, stylist. But I've got on and I've done NLP and QTT training because that is I felt that just putting something and changing, you know, helping change a shape was putting a plaster on a broken leg. This could give know, much more this conditioning over years and years and generations. Because you um, say
1: that you can't keep off putting on being ultimately happy until your weight is perfect. Is it? Yeah.
13: And that's that is what I see. People are waiting until 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 and the until might never happen. I know, I
1: know, <laughs> and, I know, I
13: know. you know. I know. And I, I'm, I say I'm not anti, you know, weight loss. If you want to do it from a place of, you know, kind of, you know, but I don't put it off. Don't put off living your life. Don't put off things now until until until.
1: Okay, fair play to you. Listen, thanks for taking the call. Appreciate thanks it. Good luck so with everything you, you do. You. All the best, you. Fiona. You're a nutritionist, is that right?
10: Yes, that's correct. Did you, you have,
1: did you have thoughts on this? because people have enough body issues as it is? Uh, is this just a bunch of snowflakes, or does it make a valid point?
10: Uh, I think this ter- this use of the term snowflakes is people's excuse not to actually consider other people's feelings um and call that what you want. But uh, I love the term Sharon used there actually about enhancing. And when it comes to using to use of language, it's really, really important. The language that we use, and especially with younger people, that we're creating an environment for them to feel that they can express themselves and, um, you know, that they have the opportunity to go into this foray in fashion and foray in kind of creating their own style for themselves without having to always look through the lens of, I want to pick this colour, that colour, the other colour, based on, right, how thin am I going to look in this? And I think when we use that term, I think that
1: I think that would be ideal, <laughs> but we're not there yet.
10: Of course, of course we're not there, but how do we change it? Do we continue to allow things like this to be perpetuated by allowing them to be tested in a state examination? Or do we stand up and challenge it and say, actually, um, I don't think that's going to fit with where I would like my kids to be. So I would like that to be challenged.
1: So you, you do read into this that a question like discuss how colour can be used to flatter body size and shape as being a very, very worrying question for people who have body image issues. And these would be teenagers and adolescents sitting the exam.
9: Yeah,
10: well, you, okay. tell, you tell me. What's what's the difference between flatter and hand accentuate? If we're going to say flatter, it's to make something look better than it is, right? If we're going to say accentuate, we're going to take something that's already fabulous and make it look fabulouser, right? So if we're going to um, accentuate, I don't know, someone's, cleavage or their curves how do we accentuate that and yes of course you can utilize colors to do that you can use uh, vertical stripes horizontal stripes whatever if the question was based around how can we use color and design to accentuate body shape and size that is coming from a really positive place because it's taking things you love about your body and it's adding to them
1: so your problem is the word flatter is it
10: of course it is yeah
1: why no because sorry for be- why
10: well, what, what does flatter mean to you? If I say to you... Accentuate. Okay. No? But it's not the same thing. Show off. No, it, flatter is how do we... Okay, flattery. If you take somebody and you flatter them, you tell them loads of things about them that's going to make them feel good. So how do we dress somebody that's maybe not feeling great about their body and, you know, hide maybe the bumps, hide the tummy? Like, when you read through the comments in the post you put up yesterday people said, yes, we can use vertical stripes to elongate the body, so to change it from looking shorter to looking taller. Because that's that's what society sees as perfection, right? Exactly what Sharon said a moment ago. How How do we change how we look to fit into what society expects us to look like? And actually, it should be that society is saying, there's so many different shapes and sizes out there, how do we all accentuate our own personal shape and size and style?
1: That you could should be able to wear whatever you wish, whatever color, whatever combination, whether it's stripes or whether it's verticals, it shouldn't matter, is it? Because
10: yeah, I mean the the what I grew up hearing was that if you were in a larger body, you wore black because it it hides your fat. That's what I grew up listening to, and that's the view. When I saw the that question, that's that's what screamed at me. And well, does that mean that? People living in larger bodies should only wear dark colours because, okay, that makes everybody around them a bit more comfortable and it. You know, it hides what we don't
1: want to see. No, come um, on! It's not the other ah, people that they wear the black for. They, they wear well, it for themselves. They wouldn't why, wear if you were heavy. You wouldn't <laughs> wear black to keep other people happy. Where did you get that from?
10: Well, why do you why do you why do why do you think women dress up and wear different clothes? Do you think it's Exclusively to make themselves happy or do you think it's that it will allow them to feel accepted by other people?
1: I would hope to make them feel happier, but correct me if I've got it wrong.
10: Well, you would hope and I would hope too, but that's not the truth of the situation. I work with women every day who have issues with their body shape, their body size, who don't feel confident in wearing different clothes because of how they're going to be judged. So the truth of the situation is this is, this is how people are... This is how people are seen from the outside in. It's how people think that others are seeing them. And if people are going to choose a colour to flatter themselves or to oh to, to flatter the shape of their body, generally speaking I think I think you'd find that if you took a sample size of twenty women off the street right now, and this would be really interesting, and if you ask them why they chose the shape they're wearing, the textile they're wearing, the colour they're wearing, it would very possibly be to not accentuate the colour of their eyes, not accentuate their skin tone. It would be to hide their bloated tummy. It would be to make their bum look smaller. It would be to make this, that, and the other. And generally speaking, in my line of work, that's what I see.
1: There's an awful lot of pressure on people to supposedly fit in, isn't there? Like it's just there
10: is, so sad, really. you
0: know.
10: Well, and look, you know, if we can, if we can change that a little bit, if we can alleviate that stress marginally by changing a word from flatter to enhance as Sharon said or to accentuate how much better are we going to do for people
1: let me get some more calls and thoughts on this, appreciate your contribution Fiona, have a good day today Thanks a million. food for thought, text 0868104106 what kind of time have I got, I think I've just enough to do this because I came across this post online then from a, a lady who uh, actually blogs Farah, she says I was in my late 30s when all this happened and Yet again on yet another diet. This is been my life as far back as I can remember. An eternal cycle of exercise, binges, starvation, excessive eating and then depression when the scales didn't budge. I spent almost two thirds of my life on some sort of eating regime. Low carb, this, zero sugar, eating nothing. rivita and those plastic cheese slices that looked like reconstituted barbie. And as such, have yo-yoed between a size 8 and a size 16. Over the course of my 43 years, I have taken laxatives, tried jamming toothbrushes down the back of my throat, swallowed cotton wool balls, doused in orange juice, ordered diet pills from eBay that came in a doll's head, gave me heart palpitations for days on end. I have a busted knee from years of over-exercising. And I've often wondered if my inability to get pregnant was down to stalled periods between the age of 13 and 17, most likely caused by self-imposed starvation. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish there was kinder footnotes in my life. But like many women my age, I spent the longest period of my life wanting to be one thing. And that thing is to be thin. When I was younger, I wanted to be thin more than I wanted to be clever I wanted to be thin more than I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be thin more than I wanted to be loved or be happy or well. You get the idea. Of course, this is deeply unfashionable to admit, but it's true. It's why Victoria Beckham landed herself in a world of pain when she says it's old-fashioned attitude wanting to be really thin. She said, "Beckham said we women really want to look healthy and curvy. Women's bodies have themselves been at the mercy of fashion and cultural change." In the 1920s, it was flat-chested, boyish bodies being the rage. Generation later it was the golden age of Hollywood, fully breasted stars set up a vogue of boobs and hips. In the 80s, fueled by decades of fitness obsession, um, the aspiration was for um, xylophone torsos, sharp, angry hip bones and legs like biros. Practically redefined the term, thin. Um, a lot happened between the 70s and 1999. Those three decades alone incul- a, inc- sorry, encompassed a fitness culture, a low-fat food movement, and the advent of extreme diets. What happened? Anorexia, bulimia, at an all-time high in the 70s and 80s. The Beverly Hills diet, one of the best-selling books of 81. Jane Fonda, Princess Diana, Demi Moore, all of whom, at later transpired, had full-blown eating disorders at the height of their celebrity. And so, here is what happened. My public beliefs no longer mirrored my private ones. I, in public, working in fashion, gave interviews in which I proudly talked about being a size 14, proudly. Whilst at fashion weeks, I wept in my hotel room when it dawned on me yet again that I was one of the biggest editors sitting in the front row. When I edited edited Elle, we were often sent clothes as gifts, a lovely perk of the job. But I was filled with humiliation, as I was always the one that had to politely return the size because they were always too small. I remember walking into a designer store to buy a suit for Milan Fashion Week. Um, one year and being told that there wasn't a single trouser size in the entire country that would fit me. I've left the fashion world now. I no longer work in an office with dozens of young, beautiful colleagues. I spend more money on gardening equipment than I do on clothes, but the truth is, I never, ever stopped yearning to be thin. Though age and time have made me accept I will never be thin, I don't, as Beckham says, suddenly desire to be curvy. I still want to be thin. And by the way, for Vogue, The vogue for curvy bodies is similarly near impossible to replicate, since big thighs, a juicy bum, and bountiful breasts rarely come with a teeny, tiny waist. Unless you're a Kardashian, and those bodies are not the result of Mother Nature. I love that. I thought it was really open and honest and forthright. Have a good day.